Hello, welcome to The Honest War Gamer. I'm your host, Rob. As you can see, I'm joined by the Twitch chat, and today is another review of a battle tome. The brand new Soul Blight Gravelords battle tome has been released, and this will be a full review. We'll go through every single rule, all of the war scrolls, and everything else, and hopefully, with this video, you'll learn how to play the army, or you'll at least learn some fun combos and what some of the stuff means. So hopefully, this is really useful if you're a beginner or if you're an experienced player. Hope you enjoy it. If you do like it, like and subscribe. I'm supported by everyone on Patreon and the Twitch chat. Here we're going to make jokes through the day and hopefully we're going to have a great time. The first thing we're going to look at are the Allegiance abilities. Uh, these you can see here. They're called Battle Traits. Allegiance abilities are called Battle Traits. You see at the top. So when you build a Soul Black Gravelord's army, you get access to these Battle Traits. These are just free rules for your army and there's a couple of them. The first thing they do is they talk about the different sub-factions that you get to choose after you've built your army, or probably before you even build your army, you choose one of those sub-factions. Uh, there's Legion of Blood, Legion of Night, the Vircos Dynasty, nailed it, Castelli Dynasty, and the Avengori Dynasty. Then you have some battle traits. So these are the special rules that apply to your army. First one is Endless Legions, and this is already a fantastic rule. Uh, I'm reading this a couple of days after it's kind of been leaked on the internet and already there's been a lot of conversation about how strong or how good the book may be but let me tell you that this is already an engaging, fun and interactive rule that you're going to get to use a lot so I already like it loads. What do you get to do with this? Well, at the end of the movement phase and that's your movement phase or your opponent's movement phase you get to return or pick a slain Soulblight Gravelord's summonable unit and now there are some heroes that are also going to be summonable units, which you're going to be able to return as well. So your summonable units and your hero summonable units. Here's the quick list. Here's the quick list of what they are. Death Rattle Skeletons, Sepulchral Guard, Grave Guard, King Morlach and the Sons of Velman, my favorite, my favorite indie band. Uh, bats, Wolves, Zombies, Black Knights, White King, uh, plus the White King on Skeletal Steed, and also Critzer. Uh, uh, so all of those, okay? So you can return them. Pretty exciting, okay? So what? So that's if they've slain. A unit's been slain, so we've, we're going to take skeletons, for example, first, and then a white king on steed. Skeleton on on uh, skeletons have been slain. Bosh, and there was let's say there was twenty of them. Then on a four plus in your opponent's turn, you get to return them. On a three plus in your turn, so it's four plus three plus. Same with the white king on skeletal steed. There's a slight difference between the two though. When you return a unit like skeletons. When you return that unit, that is a that is a like replacement unit. Therefore, it doesn't have any like upgrades or other stuff that it may have had on before it was slain. You also then can't heal it up because it's a replacement unit that starts at 10 because it was previously 20 and it has to return at half. So it's half when you return it. So that unit of 20 gets returned on a three up in your turn or a four up in your opponent's turn at the end of the movement phase. Now, here's where it gets really, really nutty. Here's where it gets really nutty. When you return them, you have to set them up wholly within 12 inches of a gravesite or a Soulblight Gravelord's hero. You can put four gravesites out, we'll talk about that in a minute, but you can set them up within three inches of your opponent's units. So it has to be outside of three, but just outside of three, but no closer. And that's amazing. So what this really means is, because at the end of the movement phase, if they have a unit that moves towards your lines, then you can redeploy away then you can summon a unit as a screen in front of your army, which is crazy. Now, there are some weaknesses. You aren't going to be able to make a charge, pile in in the same turn, but it effectively means you can just keep summoning screens, which is really, really powerful for what is going to be an all-melee army. So, really good. 
So that's the first bit, being able to return summon units and when you can return them and how close you can return them is already fantastic. The other bit is about heroes. So unlike when you return a unit, which is a replacement unit, when you turn the hero, it's the same hero. So you return, if they had command traits and they were your general, they're still your general, they still have command traits, they still have artifacts, they have any other upgrades, which is awesome. When you do return them, and it's written here in quite a wordy way, in a way that I think might need some clarity, but you return them, you return them with three wounds taken. So that's kind of weird. Like, I would think that it might get FAQ'd to being returned with three wounds remaining, but as written, I think it's probably with three wounds taken, which is an odd thing, but there we go. Okay, but this is also really great as well. This is a great first rule. It means if your general's on the board and he gets taken out by something, you can return him, which is honestly fantastic. It's not every hero, so you can't do a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, but you can do a White King on Steed, and that's awesome. So that's great. So returning slain units, returning heroes, uh, very cool. Especially the most important part is that you can return them so close. You can return them so close to the enemy to create screens and move things around, which is, which is nuts. The next thing is the Unquiet Dead. This just talks about setting up grave sites. You're able to set up four grave sites, uh, which is quite important. You set up two in your territory and two anywhere else on the board. They have to be an inch away from objectives, but those big uh, pie plates or those big uh, like perspex discs, discs that you may have seen for objectives, even though that's a big 12-inch um, kind of circle, that isn't the objective. The objective is just a point in the middle of the battlefield where it says on your battle plan where it is. So you can set within an inch of that, which means you can effectively set up on the objectives, which is amazing. So that's great. Also, you get to put four of them out, love that. And then the follow-up is that you get to set up uh, reserve units inside those grave sites. So for every unit you deploy on the board, so I put one unit down, I can put another unit inside the grave sites and then they can pop up. But when they pop up, they have to pop up in your movement phase and they have to pop up more than nine inches from all enemy units, which is super important. Um, and it's not just in your movement phase, sorry. To be specific, it's at the end of your movement phase. So it's like a deep strike. Like It always sounds a bit weird, but it's effectively you can deep strike, but you have to deep strike within wholly within 12 inches of, uh, of your gravesite and uh, nine inches away from the enemy. But this is great um, because you've got a lot of room in that area. Like wholly within 12 inches from that point on the board is actually quite big. Uh, so love that. Um, and that's really good. And it means that you can just pop up and do some uh, some deep strikes. You can do some like early charges if you want to. Really useful if you have a summonable hero so they can go and do uh, battle tactics, which is really nice as well. So a, a bunch of really fun and engaging things there. So you're actually a little bit more mobile than maybe the War Scrolls are going to say. And then finally, you've got Deathly Invocation. What this does is this returns, you pick three summonable units, um, wholly within 12 inches of a Soulblight Gravelord's hero. Um, and you can heal up to three wounds allocated to that unit. Uh, so you can basically either heal three wounds or return three models of up to one wound each. If you're wholly within 12 inches of a gravesite, then you get to add plus one to that. So three plus one equals four. This is pretty cool as well. If you're taking, like it's three units, it's not the same unit three times, but it's three different units. And those three different units uh, can all get almost up to four. And that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, 12 wounds healing, return heroes, return slain units that's not bad honestly that's not bad like especially for those heroes that like you've just brought back from the dead and then you heal three wounds into them immediately is quite nice um 
So I'm not going to sniff at that at all. I think that's very, very good. And then finally, you've got Deathless Minions, which is a six plus ward save for everyone in your army. You don't have to be near a hero, which is what it was previously. You don't have to be near like a unit. It's just everyone's got a six up ward save, which is like a little bit of a nothing because everything in the new books, so like kind of the new wave of books over the past few months, seem to have got a five plus ward save. But six plus ward save's good. It's the start because you should have a lot of wounds in the Soul Black Grave Lord's army. So. That six up ward save is going to increase how many wounds you have. You're you're much more of an attrition army, probably, uh, than you ever are kind of like a glass cannon army. But we haven't got to the war scrolls yet, so that might change. Anyway, those are your battle traits. Now we're going to go look at some of the sub-faction. The first sub-faction we're going to look at is the Legion of Blood, the courtiers of Queen Neferata, and are in a circle expected to excel in all manner of disciplines, be they martial or mystical. But they can't do them both at the same time. So... If you have a Legion of Blood vampire hero, so the word vampire will be in the keywords which you can find at the bottom of a war scroll. That's where you'll find it. Legion of Blood means that you've just chosen that as your sub-faction. It's within three inches. So if you've got a vampire hero and you're in Legion of Blood, you're within three inches of the enemy, then you get plus one attack to all your melee profiles. This is especially good if you have units with multiple melee profiles. For example, Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon or Dragoon? 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 Or... <laughs> or a Vengori Lord, a Vengo Lord. Yeah. So if you're in range, but you're outside of three inches, you get plus one to cast, unbind, and dispelling rolls, which is particularly good because Neferata is a really, really good caster. So this is really great. Um, I like that a lot. Okay. So then you've got uh, some heroic actions that you can only do inside Legion of Blood, and one of them is very good. But they're both they're both very useful. What's good about them being heroic actions versus command abilities, or versus um, let's say an artifact or a command trait, is that you get to choose when these happens, and that's really good because really the the power of a book and the strength of a book often is in people having options to do things when they want to do things. These are also good because you don't have to roll for them. So this isn't like on a three plus you do a roll. This is just you do them, which is also really powerful. Heroic actions can also be done in person's hero phase because that's also really useful as well because you can maybe use some of them so we'll talk about that first one is premeditated bloodshed and i gotta say i feel like i'm gonna see this used a lot pick one friendly legion of blood vampire hero until the end of the turn ward rolls cannot be made for wounds and mortal wounds caused by attacks made by this hero now don't forget spells don't count as attacks so it's going to be shooting attacks and close combat attacks but a vampire lord zombie dragon or indeed um, uh, a Vengo Lord, which are big, fighty monsters, so they're belly monsters, are going to love this, especially because you can choose. Again, it's not an artifact that I've taken in case I come up against something with ward saves, but instead, it's something that has a ward save in front of me and is normally an issue, but now, premeditated bloodshed, no issue, right? And it's just phenomenal. Um, so I love that. Uh, just really, really good. And then... Uh, you have the Immortal Majesty. Pick one friendly Legion of Blood Vampire Hero until the end of this turn. Your opponent must spend two command points instead of one to issue all-out defense and inspiring presence commands to enemy units within 12 inches. This feels particularly good if you're going second in a turn because your opponent is maybe going to be very light on CP because they've spent a couple in the previous turn. You don't tend to get a lot of CP in Age Sigma command points. And so at this point, they're like, I'm going to hold on to that one for the inspiring presence on that unit. And then you're like, no problem. I'm going to Immortal Majesty, do some damage here and there. And then it, and it's a big aura as well. It's 12 inches. This is, again, fantastic. The all-out defense one is good because you are going to be active. You're going to be fighting. That's what your army does. 
but Inspiring Presence, amazing. Like both of those are situationally incredible. Your opponent can't stop it, which is like again really powerful in game and just really good. Both of them are fantastic. Legion of Blood, very good so far. Right, so uh, we're going to talk about the command traits and artifacts or the Legion of Blood exclusively. The first two, uh, Tailored Downfall and Game Hunter, are really uh, not worth talking about. I could go through them, but let's just skip straight to the best one, yeah, which is the Doomed Minions. Um, so this is a command trait. So this will be on your general. And this is after deployment before the first battle shot, uh, first battle round begins. You pick up to D3 enemy units uh, that are not heroes or monsters. So you just choose some of their big units. And this is really good because unless someone's building like a hero hammer list, like Archeon, for example, like this is going to give you access to being able to pick out their kind of their three major heavy hitters. And of course, it's a D3, not three. So you might only roll one, which is a bit sad. But the buff you get is crazy. Attacks that uh, attacks made with melee weapons uh, that target that unit hit on a two plus if your general was, is within three inches. So again, if we take someone who is like a combat character, like a Vengori Lord or a, um, a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, yeah, and we charge them in, they're within three inches of a unit, maybe a couple of units. But the unit that's next to them, let's say Graveguard, now all just hit on twos. You don't have to do all out attack. You don't have to do anything like that to make them hit better. And also um, the... Uh, Vampire and Zombie Dragon will also hit on twos. There's currently a question as to whether or not the mount would hit on twos. I personally think that they would, but it's definitely something that would be nice to get an FAQ. But of the three, that's just so overwhelmingly better than the other two that that's the one I think that you're going to see all the time because it creates some incredible combos that you can pick a certain units and you could just bully the hell out of them, right? So just phenomenal stuff. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. The next one, is the Artifacts of Power. And you've got some great Artifacts of Power. We'll start with, in my opinion, the best one, the Amulet of Screams. And this is mainly because you can hear the sound of a thousand Zinch players screaming as they watch this review. You roll a dice each time an enemy unit within 18 inches of the bearer successfully casts a spell. On a 3+, plus, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. This is effectively, every time they cast a spell, they miscast and take D3 more wounds. This is horrific for loads of armies but especially this is a Cygor but I already said Cygor was the most meta warping unit in the game this now is an artifact that's going to be meta warping it's just more spell casts mean D3 more wounds this means it's just very very good very good right I really like it in my personal opinion um, and it's going to massively affect loads of different units and armies so crazy good and then you've got Orb of Enhancement. Once per battle, the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy hero within three inches of the bearer and roll dice. On a three plus, that hero cannot be picked to fight in that phase. That's actually quite good in the right situation if we enter into a monster hero meta. So loads of Archeons running around, loads of Nagashi running around, loads of Alariels running around. Pretty good. Um, but overall, not as good as Amulet Screams because Amulet Screams is more effective more of the time. Um, and then uh, we've got Cloak of Misted Shadows, which is you ignore the modifiers, positive and negative, to save rolls for attacks that target the bearer. This is quite good because you can have a three-up ethereal vampire on zombie dragon. I mention that a lot right now because normally whenever you add an enhancement, a command trait or an artifact, you're normally looking for like the largest pool that you can add it to. Same as when you can cast a spell. If I can add plus one to wound on a unit and I've got a unit of 
three with nine attacks or a unit of 30 with 90 attacks, it's just more effective and that's the economies of scale. So I'll talk about monster heroes a lot because this book's got some good ones. Ignore modifiers is crazy good because you can just ignore or rend. I kind of think it's a bit situational because in some cases you may want to just have a Mystic Shield, All Out Defense and Finest Hour so that you can be, if someone doesn't have very good rend, you can effectively be on a two-up save because it doesn't let you do uh, add positive modifiers. So it's kind of okay, but like if you go into a big meta with uh, lots of rend in, um, then sure, that one's a good too. So, uh, but the Amulet of Screams, the Amulet of Screams and the Doom Minions are standout. Like, Doom Minions is game-changing, Amulet of Screams is game-changing. What's crazy is, is you can put that on a hero that then doesn't die, that, that then dies, and then you rally it back uh, using the battle trait. Well, don't rally it, sorry, that's a special thing. But you bring it back to life, and then your opponent's like, oh no. Like, and then you just do the same thing again. It's brilliant. Absolutely love it. So, great artifacts. I mean, they don't have a range of good artifacts. They don't have a range of good um, command traits. You literally have one good command trait and two good artifacts. But, you know, still decent. That's fine. Literally the person who caused the old world to be destroyed. Um, what do you get? You get Ageless Cunning, which is once per turn during the enemy charge phase, after an enemy unit finishes charge move, you pick one friendly Legion Knight unit within 12 inches and more than three inches of one enemy units that unit can attempt to charge. So effectively, during the enemy charge phase, um, if a unit charges nearby but doesn't charge into your unit, you can counter charge them. It's only one unit, which is an issue, I guess, because uh, you can't do it with multiples of your army, uh, but it's a counter charge, which for a melee-focused army is really, really nice. It means you can set up a unit nearby for your opponent to charge, and then you can charge them. So you can do some real nice counterplay here, especially setting up like a bait or a screen, and then you can charge in. Uh, so that's, that's quite a nice battle trait. I'd say it's not as good as the other battle traits, but like this is quite a good one. Then you've got Swift Form, uh, which is a heroic action, which is incredibly incredibly annoying it is you pick one friendly legion of night vampire hero more than three inches from all enemy units and remove that unit from the battlefield and they basically just have to teleport them somewhere they have to be nine inches away so this is a heroic action and it's done by a legion of night vampire hero why is this super annoying so in your opponent's turn if they're looking to charge you the hero phase is going to happen first so it's your opponent's turn like you've charged in in your turn you've wiped out a unit there's no units within three inches of your unit but then what happens is they take their turn, they're like, right, okay, going to kill that vampire hero, and you're like, no problem, heroic action, teleport away. Super annoying. Really, really annoying. You can't move in the following movement phase, which is fine, because even if you want to do it in your turn and do the teleport and then try the nine-inch charge, can't move, you won't be able to move anyway because it's a teleport. So it doesn't really affect, there's no negatives to this versus regular teleports, but it also means you get to teleport away in your opponent's turn, which is literally crazy like it's so good for making it so that they can't kill your character which is super annoying especially if you then teleport yeah you don't have to roll for it it just automatically happens and then it also means you get to set up to potentially do an ageless cunning charge later which is amazing because you can use that so teleport away and then use the ability to counter charge with that same unit is nuts right so there's that the final one is a monstrous action that's only uh, you're only able to do on a zombie dragon or a terror geist. And this effectively means you've got to roll a bunch of dice if a unit charges you and you can do an extra standard shoot, assuming you've done a standard shoot, 
uh, but you can effectively do a, a shooting attack with either the Pestilent Breath or the Death Streak thing. Situational, probably a bit useless. Probably just do Stomp um, or Raw. You're probably not going to have a Zombie Dragon or Terrorgeist anyway. I don't know how good they are yet, but like this is a, this is a nothing burger. But the Swift Form and Ageless Cunning combo seems quite interesting. Um, or just Ageless Cunning, uh, Ageless Cunning itself, as in the ability to countercharge your opponent's turn, is really good because you can do like big blocks and charge in and countercharge, and that's very effective if you can do it well, which is cool. So for the Legion of Night, we have the command traits and artifacts of power. Three and three, like all of the others. So what do we have for the command traits that you use for your general? You've got above suspicion, which lets you put a unit into deep strike, or your general specifically into deep strike, uh, which is fine, but you've got a very fast uh, characters, so he probably won't take this. You've got the bait, which feels like the one that you're going to use, which is crazy. While this general is on the battlefield, you add one to save rolls and ward rolls for attacks that target friendly Legion of Night summonable units for the first battle round. This is especially amazing, obviously, because you can pop them out of grave sites. Uh, there's not a range on this, which is really good. This means plus one save and plus one ward aura for everyone in range is amazing. Very, very effective. Like, just very, very good. Like, and it stops what we call an alpha, so like a first turn like amount of damage. Like, is it going to, it doesn't stop all damage, but it makes your army much more survivable. And that's really great. So that's huge. And the only thing that I think might be better or as good, like a side grade, is Unbending Will, which is models in a friendly Legion of Knights summonable unit count as two models instead of one for the purposes of contesting objectives while they're within 12 inches of the general, wholly within. So this is kind of okay. This is a little bit more difficult to organize because you obviously need your general to get them wholly within. But this does mean you can capture objectives much easier than your opponent is expecting, and you can just have really high numbers on being able to hold objectives, which feels very good. Um, this maybe is a little bit too difficult to organize that maybe you won't see it, and the bait feels like very much like you don't have to think too much but it also only affects summonable units. So it isn't going to affect like some of your characters or some of your big heavy hitters. So while it's good, it's not, not army-wide, so at least it's got some restrictions, which I think is a, um, a thing. Okay, and then you've got the artifacts of power. You've got Shard of Night, uh, which you ignore the negative modifiers for save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target the bearer. So this means that you ignore the rend, but you can add positive saves, which feels like this is a very good one, especially for a very important character uh, that you want to keep alive. Um, this one's quite good. You've got Chiroptin Cloak. If the unmodified hit roll from an attack made by a melee weapon, the target's bearers are one, the attacking unit suffers a mortal wound. This is always one of those combos that you feel like you desperately want to try and achieve. Like, buff up a unit so it's very, very survivable. Send it into a unit that's going to do, like, 60 attacks, uh, and then the ones they roll, they're going to take a mortal wound. It kind of feels nice, but like it's only situational. If you come up against like all stone horns, they're not going to roll a lot of dice. Therefore, they're not going to roll a lot of ones. It requires you being hit, um, which in a game of Warhammer, you're going to want to try and hit people. Uh, and then you've got more. So I'm, I'm not into that. Uh, but then you've got Morbeg's Claw, which is in your hero phase. If the bearer is more than three inches from all the units, you can say they will carve sigils into the ground, which is quite cool. But you get to add, uh, add two the casting rolls for friendly Legion of Night Wizards holding within 12 inches. Uh, however, the bearer cannot make a normal move, run, retreat, charge until your next hero phase. So they're just kind of, they're just stuck there, which I think is quite interesting. But if there is a way to build like a castle uh, uh, spellcasting list, 
So, you know, you build some defensive screens and you send a bunch of spells out, then Morbeg score is pretty cool because plus two to cast is really good. If you cast Chronomantic Cogs, so you plus two re-rolling to cast, then you could do some incredibly powerful spell casting. The real question is whether or not the book has the power to do that spell casting, which we're going to find out later in this video. Cute little idea though, is if you do take the Morbeg's Claw and, you, you're, and the wizard that you put it on is a vampire, you can use the heroic action to just teleport them out, which is really fun, um, and just get them out of the way. I mean, it's a cute little trick. Like, is it super useful? Don't know. But like, ultimately, ultimately, this is a very interesting, uh, interesting faction, and uh, I'd love to know what you all think. Vircos Dynasty next. So this is the uh, Ulfen Khan or the Cursed City sub faction. So it's got a loads of unique characters, and normally you can't give. Unique characters, command traits, or artifacts, but they have done something to address that in this book, which is quite good. Um, uh, so here we go. Let's talk about the battle traits. The battle trait that you get for Veracross, though, is trash. It's just you can fight at the same time as another Veracross unit. So your hero fights, and then another uh, Veracross unit can fight, but like if they're in engaged, but it's, not, it's a nothing burger. Like, and then you can't chain activate those. Like, it'll come up and it might be useful. Uh, obviously, you could do it with like a Vampire Lord and another unit, so you get like a double activation, which is quite fun. Uh, but for some people, uh, like for instance, Lumineth, they, they always get like a double strike versus needing to be in range. So this is this is like not very good. Uh, but you get some very, very cool heroic actions. You get two. At Pack Alpha, which allows you to pick a friendly Deadwalkers unit. So that would be, at the time of recording, it would be Direwolves, it would be Zombies, and because they haven't thought this through, corpse carts. Now, don't go and buy loads of corpse carts, because that'll get FAQ'd. But you can currently add D3 corpse carts to a unit, which you shouldn't do, because that is not, <laughs> that's going to get changed. Right, okay. Um, but being able to turn D3 doggos is quite good. So direwolves, because that's up to, that's up to six wounds back in a unit, which is quite nice, which obviously you can, um, you can uh, stack with the ability to bring back uh, models and units that we saw earlier in the battle traits. And then you've got Kin of the Wolf. This is one you can only do once per battle, but it allows you to summon a unit of direwolves. So you get to add 20 wounds or 130 points to your army. This army doesn't necessarily have summoning. Obviously, it does. It, have, it has recycling, so it has units that were killed and would be returned, and it's got healing. So it does have like the ability to have a more like level tempo than some other armies. But being able to have 2,100 points, 2,130 points on the board at the start of the game isn't going to be much of a difference, but I guess it's still quite nice. Um, so I quite like that. Uh, I quite like that. I think that's quite good. Uh, 10 doggos is pretty nice. Going on to the command traits. Uh, now, this is where it gets really interesting. This is the first time we've seen this. Uh, you're allowed to add these command traits to unique characters, so named characters, where normally you aren't allowed to do this. So you've got uh, Driven by Death Stench, which is units wholly within nine inches, you get to re-roll charges. That's fine. That's okay. You've got Hunter's Snare, which is, I mean, good for a combat army that wants to do fighting all the time, but it doesn't necessarily uh, do economies of scale. Command Traits and Artifacts, you're always looking for a huge, huge like uptick in effectiveness, because you can only choose one. Then you've got... Hunter's Snare, for the purposes of contesting objectives, this general counts as a number of models equal to their wounds characteristic. Particularly good if you take a big Vampire Lord Top of Dragon, for example, run it around, then you've got a lot of wounds on an objective and you can keep being fairly mobile. Um, it's okay. 
And then you've got spore trackers at the start of the hero phase. Friendly dead walkers units wholly within nine inches of the general can make a normal move up to three inches. And this is each one of your hero phases, I would say. Um, and it's your hero phase, not your opponent's hero phase. I would say this is very good. This makes your zombies faster, makes your zo uh, your doggos faster. Um, this is a, a very, very good one, in my personal opinion, um, and the one you can see much, because movement is king in Age of Sigma. And then you've got artifacts of power. Uh, so trophies of the hunt. Ulfenkarn Phylactery adds one to the ward rolls of Rykross summonable units for the purpose of deathless minions battle trait. Now, this is important to remember. If something else gives someone a ward save, this one only adds plus one to the ward rolls or deathless minions uh, units. Uh, so, for, sorry, to the, to the deathless minions ward roll. So plus one to the deathless minions ward roll, not other ward rolls. So that's important. But that's still really, really good because you're going to have five up ward save, potentially 60 wounds worth of um, direwolves in your army for not many points is crazy. That makes him very effective, especially when you can put D3 back in in the turn. You can also heal from other sources. That one's very, very good in my opinion. And I think you'll see that a lot. Um, very like This one's very, very good. Then you've got Terminus Cloak at the start of the enemy hero phase. You can say the bearer will stop the Terminus Clock. Uh, and if you do so, sorry, it's the Terminus Clock. And if you do so, roll dice on a 3+, plus to the end of that phase, subtract 1 from casting rolls for enemy wizards. You're not going to take that. Um, you're definitely always going to run for the Amulet of Screams, which we saw earlier, uh, because you're going to just blow up enemy wizards, which is crazy. Uh, and then you've got the standard of Ulfen Watch. If the bearer's on the battlefield, you can roll a dice each time your opponent spends a command point. You, on a 4+, plus, you receive a command point. That's not really bad. It's not terrible. It's not overly good either. It's fine. Uh, you just get a lot of CP, which is always useful. Um, uh, and maybe, maybe if I was trying to get multiple artifacts, I would definitely try and maybe get the standard of Ulfen Watch. But like, the plus one ward save is what we call a good economy of scale artifact that's going to uptick. So you're definitely going to take the Ulfen Carney Phylactery, which is very good because you get to say that to your opponent all the time. You're like, okay, so I've got an artifact it's called the Ulfen Carney Phylactery. And they'll be like, that's weird, bro. That's weird. Uh, which is good. And you're probably going to take the command trait Spore Trackers. But if you think something different, I'd love to hear about it on playing it. So what does it do? So your battle trait is the Might of the Crimson Keep. At the end of the combat phase, if an enemy model, or sorry, if any enemy models, so it's very easy, you don't have to kill a unit. If any enemy models were slain by attacks made in melee with a Castelli Vampire unit, then you can pick one of the relevant abilities across from it to apply to that friendly unit for the rest of the battle. If more than one of those abilities opposite would apply to that unit, you must pick which ability that unit gains. The unit cannot gain the same ability more than once per battle. Okay, what does this mean? There are three abilities. Right, each combat phase, if you kill any models, you can gain one of them. So if you would like to gain all three, which you can do, then it's going to require you to have fought three kind of consecutive battle, like consecutive phases, and you're going to need to have um, uh, killed an enemy model. Super simple, right? Really easy. Okay, what do you get? We'll start small. If you kill uh, a model that has a wounds characteristic, characteristic of two or less, then you add plus one inch that unit's move characteristic. This is like a nothing burger, but like might come in handy, whatever. Then you've got, and it could be really funny as well because you've got like the option to potentially fight quite a bit. Um, so being able to add like plus five inches to your movement is legitimately very funny. Uh, like, <laughs> so I quite like that. Then you've got one if, um, if the same model has a wounds characteristic of three or more, but it was not a hero or monster, then you get to add one, the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. 
So this is if you fight like a monstrous hero or a monstrous cavalry unit. Monstrous heroes and monstrous cavalry units like sometimes just don't exist in an enemy army, so that's a buff you maybe can't get, uh, but they can be fairly common. Uh, so this is quite good, plus one attack. And then the best one is if you slay an enemy uh, hero or monster, uh, then you get bloody strength and you get plus one to your damage characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. Now, you can't do this multiple times, so you can't get multiple plus one damages, but I love the idea of plus one damage, plus one attack. This could make a unit of, let's say, 10 blood knights because they have the vampire keyword. Very, very effective. Again, this only affects vampires and vampire units, and you're going to have to keep track of all those extra buffs on your units, which can be a little bit of a problem. Uh, but there we go. Like, quite cool little buff for vampires. Then they have a unique heroic action called the Masters of Retaliation. This is if you're already engaged in combat, so if you're within three inches of an enemy unit, um, then your opponent, don't forget you do this in the hero phase, if your opponent damages you in any phase, right, then, you get to roll a dice, and on a 2+, plus, you do D3 mortal wounds to uh, enemy units within 3 inches. So this is an incredibly specific situation where your character is locked in combat, and then your opponent decides they're going to attack you in multiple phases with, I don't know, uh, some shooting and some combat, and then you survive all of that, and then on a 2+, plus, you can do D3 mortal wounds to people around you, which is kind of okay, but... It's not something I'm that bothered about. Uh, however, the heroic, uh, so the monster section is really good. You take a monster, um, and then you get to add one to wound rolls for attacks made by melee weapons by this unit for the following combat phase. That one's great. Plus one to wound is a great buff, because minus one to wound is a great debuff. So Battle Craze is, is a really good monster section. It's a bit of a problem because monsters are so good, especially with things like raw. Um, being able to stop people doing command abilities is very effective. So, uh, but that is good. Much better than the heroic action, which I don't really like. Um, I do love the idea of the uh, the might of the Crimson Keep, the vampires eating stuff and getting stronger. I would have liked it so that they could have just stacked them. I think that that would have been very, very funny. Um, I would have really enjoyed that. I've just realized now in saying that you can never keep adding plus one inch to the movement because you can't stack it. So that thing I said literally moments ago, you can't do, so that's wrong. But you absolutely can. Um, so you can get all three but it'd be really funny if you could stack them because that would be quite funny and your opponent would have to be like really conscious of that but like oh I can't let him kill another hero so he's going to get another plus one damage that would have been very fun alright let's go look at the uh, the artifacts shall we okay so looking at the command traits and the artifacts you can take swift and deadly which you can re-roll charge rolls for friendly Castelli units while they're wholly within 12 inches of the general this is good this is fine for combat army you want re-roll charges doesn't cost you CP, this is okay, but doesn't stack particularly well. Uh, then you've got Undead Blade Lord, which is once per turn if this general on the battlefield, when a vampire unit gains an ability with a Might of the Crimson Keep, so when you kill a model like we just talked about before, this general uh, has not got that ability, you gain it. So effectively, you can send other units out to gain abilities for your general, which is kind of okay. Um, don't hate that, but like that's kind of fun. means they can just stack it and then you can run in later with all of your buffs is interesting then you've got the shifting keep which effectively allows you to put uh, uh, blood knight units into reserve uh, during deployment um, and then when they do deep strike they have to do what we call outflank so they have to come in within six inches of board edge but nine inches away from the enemy which is okay but they're a very fast unit anyway so i don't know why you're not just going to put them on the board and yeet them forward as is so outflanking feels a bit odd 
Um, then we go talk about the artifacts. You've got the Castelli hero. Once per battle round at the end of the battle shock phase, you can return one slain model to each friendly Castelli summonable unit, wholly within 18 inches of the bearer. This is this is interesting. I like the idea of this. Like you just res up a couple of models every time. Keys in really nicely with the other healing we've seen previously, but overall, not as good as the next thing, which is subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by melee weapons by the enemy units within three inches of the bearer. So if you can build a very survivable general who ends up in combat or near combat a lot of the time, minus one to wound rolls for attacks made by units, not models. If they're within three, so those units and minus one to wound, that's an incredible debuff. It is difficult to do because you can have to be close to the enemy, but it's a great debuff. Very, very good. Um, and then you've got the red casket. Add run uh, three to run and charge rolls for the bearer. Now, this is actually very good, in my personal opinion, uh, because it means you can make a much more fighty uh, unit that's faster and has a larger um, threat range, right? Um, so uh, does, does the Grave Sand Shard work for return one slain model to each friendly Castelli summonable unit wholly within 18 to the bearer? No, you can't return a slain hero because that unit wouldn't be on the board for you to summon it. So there you go. There's a nice answer for you. Um, I like the plus three to run and charge rolls. Uh, I like uh, the minus one to wound. I think the minus one to wound is probably the strongest of the lot um, because you've got a high armor save on a lot of those blood knights and also your vampire on zombie dragon. So making them more survivable feels very, very effective. So I love that. So the Avangori dynasty is the monster sub-faction. Once per turn, at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one friendly Avangori monster within three inches of an enemy unit until the end of that phase. Use the top row on that unit's damage table. Monsters and larger models generally tend to have what we call a damage table. It's a degrading table, so they effectively get worse. This battle trait is very much like Oakenbrow that you will see from Sylvaneth, but Oakenbrow applies to all of the monsters and you don't need to be in combat. Um, and so it's just not very good. If you look at something like Boulderhead or uh, Ogres, they also get plus two wounds as well, which is really nice. So this is just not good and is situational and applies to one monster which is weird because if you do play Avangori then you're allowed to have as battle line you're able to have um uh terror geists and also uh whatever the other thing that isn't the terror geist is I've somehow forgotten it uh whatever the other thing uh so um those uh, get to become your battle line um so you're like okay but I can only really help one monster out and if it's in combat so it's not that good a battle trait. It's taken me a long time to say that, but it's just not a good battle trait. Hopefully you trust me enough at this point in our viewer-streamer relationship that you know that I'm telling you the truth. Uh, right, then you've got Titans of... Um, uh, then you got Titans of the Grave. So these are monstrous rampages or monstrous actions that you get to make uh, at the start of the combat phase um, uh, for different monsters. So you've got Maddening Hunger. You pick up to D3 different models within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. The roll is greater than that model's wound characteristic slain. If you are trying to play Avangori, I encourage you to not do it. But if you do, then what's really good about this is you get to pick out uh, characters out of a unit. How you do the voodoo that you do so well at the spell. Hell makes me want to soup, 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 ba doop, soup, ba doop, soup, ba doop, ba doop, ba doop, soup, ba doop, soup, ba doop, soup, ba doop, ba doop, ba doop. So I apologize for that. That's when people donate money on Twitch. Thank you to Guy. They get to do voice notes. And thank you to Guy for doing that. 
So I think what I was trying to say was, is if you are, if you are going to pick D3 different enemy models within one inch of this unit, then you are 100% going to want uh, to pick out the unit champion or like the banner bearer. You want to pick out the command units. And the reason you want to do that is because it stops them doing things like uh, all out defense. So that's a, a very clever thing to do. Uh, and then you've got Unstoppable Nightmare, which is until the end of the following combat phase, the first time a different friendly Avangori unit within 60 units is destroyed. This unit can fight immediately after the last lane model of the unit is destroyed, is removed from play. So if you happen to have um, one of these uh, monsters near one of your other units and your other unit is killed, this unit immediately gets to fight. This like, like relies on your opponent, your unit dying. So I'm going to say this is bad. I'm just going to say it's bad. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, so I don't, I don't particularly like that. Uh, but the the one thing I would say though, we'll, we'll talk about when we talk about the command traits. So command traits. So these are for Avangori generals. So this is for your general. So subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by melee weapons that target friendly Avangori monsters wholly within twelve inches. I would say that putting this on something like a Terrorgeist, like sorry, putting having Terrorgeist around and trying to make this so it works on them is bad. What you really want is a bunch of characters. So a Vampire Lord, Zombie Dragon, maybe Luke Vi, uh, maybe a Vengo Lord, and all of those characters are now in a little bubble, and then they're like a big like hammer pack. You tend to sometimes see ogre players, what they do, they'll have a Frostlord and Stonehorn and some Stonehorn Beast Riders, and they just stack them together, literally like jam them together like a little blob. If you charge one, you have to charge them all. What's good about this command trait is you could do that. You could stack them all together, and then they'd all be minus one to wound, which is a really significant buff. Uh, or debuff to the enemy, which is actually very, very good. Um, so I really like that. Then you've got Torment-Driven Throws. At the start of the combat phase, you can roll a dice each, for each enemy unit within three inches of this general. On a 5+, that unit suffers a mortal wound, and the Strike Last effect applies. This is kind of okay, because you, uh, you do want Strike Last, but unfortunately, it's a 5+, so you're never going to take it. And then you've got the, um, the final one, Unhinged Rampager. You can reroll charge rolls for this general. In addition, at the end of the shoot phase, any wounds or mortal wounds are allocated to this general in that phase. And this general is more than nine inches from enemy units. You get to move D6 inches. This is just bad because effectively, it's if you get shot, bad news. You get to move D6 inches away, kind of okay. If they're not within nine inches, bad news. So I'm going for no on that. So Monstrous Might is a good one, um, especially if you build like a Hero Hammer list. And legitimately, a Hero Hammer list could be quite fun. Uh, then you've got some artifacts of power. You've got Breath of the uh, Void Maw, which is once per battle. At the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy within six inches. On a two plus, you take some mortal wounds, up to six mortal wounds. This is rubbish. It's once per battle. It's rubbish. Don't do that. Once per battle, at the start of the combat phase, you can say the bearer will don Gorfar's collar. If you do so, the strike first effect applies to the bearer until the end of that phase. It's kind of okay. Strike first is very situational and useful, but it's once per battle. Um, and so it doesn't scale particularly well, but this might work in a like very concentrated alpha strike list. So again, a bunch of characters that all strike at the same time. But this is nowhere near as good as being able to take a Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon that turns off ward saves from their opponent with a heroic action. So it just isn't as good internally inside the book, and you're, you're never going to play Avangori. And then finally, you've got the Furious Crown. Once per battle, at the start of your charge phase, you can say the bearer will unleash the Fury of the Crown. If you do so after the bearer makes a charge move in that phase, Pick one enemy within an inch and then roll a dice and for each four plus you suffer more wound. This is what we call an ogre charge. If you roll ten dice, every you roll ten sorry, if you roll a ten inch charge, roll ten dice every four up. 
they'll take a mortal wound for each one. Again, not very good. It's once per battle, but ogres it's every time. In fact, actually, the Avangori uh, really just needs to look at the ogre book and say, why can't I make, why can't I make uh, like a, an army as good as the ogre monsters? And then the ogre mon the ogre book needs to look at this and say, say, how do I make the infantry much better in the ogre book? Because the, uh, the ogre infantry is terrible. So it would be good if they got lessons from each other. So those are the sub-factions, uh, and now let's move on. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the spell laws. So if you've got a wizard, each wizard can choose one of these spells. And the spells are honestly legit. Like, they're, they're genuinely very good. So the law of vampires can be cast by, unsurprisingly, vampires. And it's got three, in my opinion, great spells. Uh, the first one is called Soul Spike, but Ergo Ogre, it's a reverse ogre charge spell. So what it is, is you pick a unit within 24 inches, and what happens is, is when they roll a when they roll a charge, so let's say they roll a 10, for every four plus, they take a mortal wound. So it's like they've reversed an ogre and then they put an ogre inside of the unit. But if you cast a spell on a nine, you get double reverse ogre because you get to pick two different enemy units within 24 inches. It's not wholly within, which is great. It's quite a long range, which is great. Yeah, and you're just making them hurt themselves on the way in, which is always funny. Great spell, Soul Spike. I really like it. Bar Transference is a pretty good one. You pick an enemy unit within nine inches, and then uh, you take their wounds characteristic. You roll that many dice, any five ups, and they take a mortal wound, and then the caster will heal that many wounds. Right? That's also fantastic, in my opinion. Um, really good, especially if you obviously take that on your fighty vampire lord or something. If you cast it on a nine then the mortal wounds are done on a four instead of a five. Uh, so these are unmodified dice. So if, you, if you've got plus one to cast or plus two to cast, none of that is going to, um, going to work. Uh, I've had a question in the chat. Number of dice equal to the charge rolls? Could it be 12 dice? It could be. In fact, actually, talking about the latest Slanesh book, or if you look at talking about Kragnos in Destruction, it could be up to 18 dice uh, because some people are rolling 3d6 charges nowadays, right? Um, so yeah, very. Uh, it could be very, very scary, but in the right situation. I like Vartransference a lot. If you have a big multi-wound character, keeps them alive, which I think is really good. Then you've got Spirit Gale, uh, which is cast on seven, and this one is great. Yeah, If successfully cast, pick each enemy unit on the battlefield suffers a mortal wound. If the unmodified casting roll for this spell is a nine, then each unit suffers two mortal wounds. Two mortal wounds is crazy for every unit on the board, especially if you double it up with the artifact we saw earlier where a caster successfully casts a spell takes D3 mortal wounds. You legitimately are threatening a bunch of characters at range. I think this is very, very good. Spirit Gale. Um, sure, it's an unmodified nine to get this off reliably. Maybe you put chronomantic cogs in, but ultimately very, very strong, like very, very scary. Um, and then you've got Lore of the Death Mages. So three great spells, yeah? If they charge you, they take mortal wounds. Heal up one of your really important big monster characters with Vile Transference, Spirit Gale, board-wide mortal wound damage, um, uh, which isn't overly engaging as a spell. I really wish stuff like that wasn't written into the game. But if you're excited about playing Soul like Grave Lords, it's a great spell to have in the game. Uh, then you've got Lore of the Death Mages. It's for Mortarks and Death Mage Wizards. You've got Fading Vigor, which reduces the attack characteristic uh, for melee weapons of an enemy unit within 18 inches when you cast it on a 6. 
If you're on nine or more, then it's going to reduce it by two, which is devastating. You're a great melee army, and then being able to shut down their melee power is very important. This is particularly good, as I've said previously, because Bellacore is the best unit in the game right now. There are lots of like Death Star units, so having the capacity to shut down the uh, the power of one of those Death Star units by reducing how many attacks they have by two is very, very good. So I really like Fading Figure. It's got a good range as well. It's 18 inches. And you've got Prisoner of Grief, which is uh, cast on a six and a range of 12 inches. Uh, until the next hero phase, the unit you choose strikes last. The unmodified roll is a nine. You get to pick you in 24 inches. Strike last is also very good in a combat-orientated army. So another really good spell. Like, you, you can go Lore of the Death Mages and really really shut down your opponent's ability to affect you, which I think is important. And finally, you've got Waste Away, which is cast on a 6 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Do your next hero phase, subtract one from the wound rolls to attacks made by melee weapons by that unit and subtract one from the damage characteristic, which is great. And then finally, if you cast it on a 9, you get to do it on two different units. So, we can have one Death Star unit that's got minus two to its attack profile and is minus one damage and um, is minus one to wound, which is the best debuff you can get, in my personal opinion. You could also make it so that it strikes last. Very, very good spell lore. Like all six spells have definitely got a situation uh, for them. Probably, probably the worst one, weirdly, is the reverse double ogre inside of itself. But all of the spells are great for shutting units down. Uh, I would say Prison of Grief, which is Strike Last, is a little bit shorter range than maybe you would want. But ultimately, you're going to have a wizard near your front lines because they're going to be buffing them in some way. So having them nearby. This is just, in, in my opinion, all around an incredibly powerful set of spells and very effective. And I'd be very happy if I was playing Soul like Grave Lords to have these spells. So yeah, great spells. Okay, so we're looking at the War Scrolls. And actually, this is really interesting because we start off with Nagash. Nagash can be taken in Soul like Grave Lords and also in OCR Bone Reapers as well as Fleshy, of course. So Nagash is kind of like an interesting unit because he's a god character, so he's the god of death. 965 points for Nagash, and kind of to top off the review, that's definitely too expensive. There are loads of melee and shooting units in the game that will delete Nagash probably in a turn, maybe two, but definitely several units that could do it in one. The real question is, you, have you got enough board presence to protect Nagash so he can do all the things that he does, and can he really bring 965 points of value? That's the question, and I think a lot of competitive players will probably say no, but he definitely has room to be a fun and engaging piece. And don't forget, whenever I'm talking about this stuff, I'm talking about the very top end of a 10% of a better. If it's just you and your mates at home, absolutely feel free to play Nagash. He is not rubbish, as the internet may say, because you aren't playing at that level, so it doesn't really matter. Just have some fun. So he's 18 wounds with 3-up save and moves 10 inches and can cast an 8 spells as a wizard, which is pretty nuts. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. He's got 3 close combat attacks, Alakanash, which has got 4 attacks that damage D6, um, Zeph Nabar, which is 4 attacks that damage D3, and these are legitimately good combat profiles. Ren 2 damage 3, Ren 3 D6 are great profiles, especially because you can get plus 1 to hit, especially because you can get plus 1 to wound, so therefore, it's twos, twos, great rend, lots of damage going through. He doesn't have a fight twice, though, um, and he does have a five-up ward save. We'll talk about that in a minute. So overall, he's kind of like a stonehorn. So a frostal and stonehorn, only 
Rosalorn Stonehorn does more damage um, uh, and has only got like two wounds less. This guy's got 18 wounds. That's kind of what you're thinking about. But Nagash costs twice as much. So Rosalorn Stonehorn does more damage in combat, but it's half the points. So that's, that's the thing to talk about. Uh, however, you then get an eight cast wizard, and whichever army you put him in, so when you put him in Soblight Grave Lords, he's going to know all the spells from those spell lords. And as we talked about, those spells are very good. Being able to make it so a unit's minus one to wound, minus one attacks, uh, doing global AoE mortal wounds is pretty interesting. Like, I think that that's really good, and he's got definitely some utility to do all of his spells. Cast eight spells with a natural plus three to cast, which, even when he gets wounded, goes down to a minimum of four spells, but he always keeps that plus three to cast now, which is really nice. He also gets that plus three to unbinding and dispelling, and he gets to make an infinite amount of unbind attempts, which is also very, very cool. So, like, he can definitely try to shut down a lot of magic. He's a war master in an army, which means he can do command abilities from 18 inches. He can fly. Plus three to cast. Uh, has got a five-up ward save from Morricane, uh, and... Other friendly death units have a 5-up ward save wholly within uh, 12 inches. And this is, again, legitimately cool. You could definitely do like a Smash Bros-style list, in my personal opinion, um, where you have another bunch of uh, big hero characters that all get a 5-up ward save thanks to him, or just flood him with other bodies uh, so they all get a 5-up ward save. I know from a 6 to a 5-up doesn't seem like a lot, but it, it genuinely will be a lot, uh, and I think that's really good. Then he's got the Invocation and Gash, and this is very much like OCR Bone Reapers. You can effectively heal three wounds uh, to uh, a bunch of units to um, uh, a unit. Yeah, and start here phase if each friendly summonable or OCR Bone Reaper unit wholly within range, which starts at 24 inches, you can heal up to three wounds. So healing up to three wounds is great uh, for every one of those units, or you can return slain models uh, with a wounds characteristic of up to three, which is good. And that invocation is obviously going to stack really nicely with the Soulblight Gravelord's ability. Uh, so then you can you can got a lot of retention. You can keep a lot of units and keep healing a lot of units, which is really good. Then you've got a Supreme Lord of the Undead. This lets you return a slain, summonable Morden or OCR Bone Reaper unit, but not a hero, uh, on a three plus and replace them with up to half of the models. So he effectively brings the Allegiance ability with him in an aura around himself. And it's on a 3-plus all the time versus a 4-plus. Um, but it's only at the start of your hero phase. That's kind of good. I think that's I think that's really good. Obviously, you can combine this with the Allegiance abilities. That's just a lot of returning models. This one's a little bit more difficult because you have to be doing it outside of 9 inches of the enemy. However, in Soblight Gravelord, the units you return only have to be outside of 3 inches of the enemy. So you're in a good spot there. Um, then uh, you've got the nine books in the gash, uh, and that's how many spells he can cast based on how many wounds he's taken. And then you've got two spells. Hand of Dust uh, is kind of like a bit of a famous spell now. It's a spell that effectively means that you can auto-slay models. Some, rule, some models have rules saying that they can't be auto-slain, but the Hand of Dust auto-slays many other models. It's cast on an eight. It's got, only got a range of three inches, but obviously you can cast it through a spell portal, uh, which is really good. Um, and so, yeah, this has been a devastating spell for many people for many years. And finally, you've got Soul Stealer. And I think maybe that's a huge portion of his points cost is the Hand of Dust ability. He does have the ability to just one bang off several hundred points worth of models uh, in very quick succession, which is very good. And then you've got Soul Stealer, which is cast on seven and a range of 24 inches. Successfully cast pick one enemy within range, invisible to the caster. That unit suffers D3 more wounds. 
draw nine or more, it's going to be D6 mortal wounds, and you get to heal up to that many wounds. Which is actually quite nice, um, because uh, this, along with something like Vile Transference, means that Nagash could definitely be kept up at that 18 wound bracket all of the time in between hero phases. Age of Sigmar obviously isn't you go, I go though, so over a double turn, you definitely could take enough damage that this guy could just die in a pop. So that's everything Nagash does, 965 points. I think this is always a point of contention. Archeon, Nagash, Lariel, never Marathi. Marathi's worth it. Not Teclis, Teclis is worth it. So what is it Nagash doesn't do that Teclis definitely does and Marathi definitely does? Um, that they always get included in the list, almost always see uh, Teclis in the list, almost always see Marathi. Well, Marathi's unique ability is that never dies. So that's kind of her USP. Well, she can't die within like two turns because she's going to take three wounds per turn. And for Teclis, it's the output plus the defense. Teclis is one of the output, like the big damage dealers inside the Luminous Realm Lord's army, but also in addition, all of his, he effectively brings a five-up ward save around him with one of his spells, which is so key and pivotal. Is also Bellacore with one of the spells as well. So you have Nurgle Allegiance ability, you have AoE Mortal Wound damage, which is phenomenal. And you also um, uh, you also have the ability to like increase CP and other stuff for an army. So Teclis does everything. Marathi doesn't really die. Also, her economies of scale is massive as well because she makes a unit shoot twice. The problem with Nagashi is that you don't have an economies of scale here. Like you've got a five up ward for everyone around you, but you do need to be a little bit broad to go capture objectives. You can return models, but that's redundant because you can already return models in this army. So if Nagash had an ability where you could like pile in and attack twice with a unit, like if they're within range or something, that would be a little bit more effective. Also, Nagash is more expensive than any of those models as well. Do I think Nagash is rubbish? No. I think Nagash is fine and playable. Do I think Nagash is good? No. Not at the very top end of the meta. But like I say, when I talk about those things, that top end of the meta really doesn't impact you because it's like very finite. And Soblet Gravelords, as a book, has got the perfect counter to Nagash inside of it, which is the Amulet of Screams, which is just going to do tons of mortal wounds to Nagash every time he tries to ramp up those spells. An interesting piece, Nagash. Very interesting. I'd love to know what you all think, and thanks. Okay, on to the villain himself. The greatest combination between Man and Fred. Manfred von Karstein, the Mortec of Night. Now, if you are playing in Legion of Night, you can take uh, Manfred. You can obviously take him in other armies as well, but he's able to use uh, some of the abilities in it. So Manfred von Karstein has got a pretty decent damage profile. I wouldn't say it was massively impressive, specifically because he's only got Rem 2 on most of his weapons, and since the introduction of Age of Sigmar 3, we've seen at least two very competent ways of getting plus one save regularly on units in Mystic Shield and All Out Defense. Of course, he's a monster, so he can roar an enemy unit to make it so they can't get all that defense. But I just think it would be a little bit more punchy, a little bit more scary if he had damage three or ren three. That said, though, he's definitely a good fighter. No, no qualms there. I think he's definitely good. But I don't think he'll necessarily wipe out units on the charge, which feels weird. He's got 14 wounds with a three-up armor save, and he initially moves 16 inches. Now, that is fantastic. Mobile and aggressive can get straight in the fight. He casts two spells and unbinds two spells. Uh, is a war master, so he can give a buff around. Command uh, ability is out at 18 inches, which is great. Um, he can fly, which is also really good because he could charge over or move over screens. 
he's, he's able to ignore the first wound or mortal wound caused this unit in each phase, which is really nice, which is really going to help with survivability on top of the allegiance abilities to do healing and on top of the hunger, which is each time this unit fights after all of the attacks have been resolved, you can heal up to a number of wounds or mortal wounds caused by this unit up to a maximum of six. So really, from a hero phase heal of three, oh no, that's only on some units. No, you can definitely just heal six is the point. That's the really important part, like in each combat phase, and that's significant, right? Then he's got Sword of Unholy Power, which if he slays any models, uh, then he gives buffs out to Legion of Knights summonable units. He adds plus one attacks, the characteristic of weapons, characteristic of melee weapons for units holding within 12 inches. This used to be different. It used to be a little bit more, uh, it used to be plus one to hit, plus one um, to wound. So I'm not 100% certain on this. This has always been a really difficult one to organize. Uh, but like he's fast. He's kind, of, he's kind of in an odd spot where he's fairly fast. He's going to run off. Uh, but plus one attacks is very good. It's one of the better stats um, uh, because you've just got more attacks. Really nice. Uh, Mortark more of Night, he's got the strike first effect uh, when he makes a charge. In addition, if this unit receives a redeploy command, it can attempt to charge instead of making a D6 inch move. Now that's actually pretty important because you move within nine inches. So this is before your charge phase. He then can get issued the redeploy command ability and can charge. Because he charged, he's got the strike first effect. So he's got that ability to really punch into enemy units a lot more um, regularly and also more effectively because the enemy unit isn't going to get to fight first. Manfred's going to get to fight first. It's just when he gets there, he's not going to necessarily deal with some of the scarier units in the game. Um, but he's only 390 points. So 390 points is like quite nice. Maybe I think uh, like players from Soblight Gravelords wouldn't have minded him being a few more points, but just have slightly more output because he has some really good utility, especially as in Legion of Night. Don't forget, with the heroic action, you're going to be able to then uh, use the heroic action and teleport away as long as you're outside of three inches. So I quite like that idea. That's a really fun combo. A unit moves within nine inches. You redeploy, but you don't redeploy. Instead, you charge. Always strikes first. Wipe that unit out. They get the double turn, and they're like, this is the turn. You then teleport away again, uh, using that heroic action in their turn. They then move another unit nearby. You then charge them again and fight them. That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. Like legitimately pretty fun. Um, it, it's just his. It's just his damage output that for me makes him suboptimal. Doesn't make him bad. Just doesn't make him maybe as optimal as let's say a Vlos. But really great. Uh, finally, he's got a really great spell which is cast on seven and a range of eighteen inches. Um, and then it does D three mortal wounds to a unit, and then everyone else within six inches takes another D three mortal wounds on a three plus, which is really really great. So overall, I really like Manfred. I'm going to give him like an 8 out of 10, especially in his own faction, because you're going to be able to do all of those combos. Ultimately, I think maybe he gets a little bit overshadowed by the output of other units, but definitely I think you'll see him on the tabletop and he'll be really good. Okay, next up, 390 points is Neferata, the Mortark of Blood. And she definitely is inside the best sub-faction, the Legion of Blood. She's 14 wounds with three of armor save, which is pretty nice. Uh, but doesn't have a ward save, so fairly fragile to a bunch of long-range mortal wounds. Can fly, is a war master, and is a two-cast wizard, um, which is pretty good. Her mount itself is the same as the other Mortech mount, six attacks uh, um, uh, with the spectral claws. Is it, though, no, the skeletal claws? Uh, four threes, rend two, damage two. So it's okay. Like, she potentially could do a lot of damage 
Um, now, she does have the Dagger of Jet, which is pretty nice. At the end of any phase, if any wounds were caused by Amok Ha, uh, which has got five attacks at Ren 2, to a hero, then on a five plus, that hero is slain with very few restrictions on this. So uh, some monstrous heroes could definitely be killed by Neferata, which is pretty cool. She's got Twilight of Allure, which is minus one to hit rolls for attacks that uh, made in melee uh, that target Legion of Blood units wholly within 12 inches, which is legitimate in my opinion. Uh, minus one to hit is good. That's nice. Obviously not as good as Nagashi's five ward save, but minus one to hit is fine. Uh, she's got more Tuck of Blood, uh, which is at the end of deployment. Now this is going to get super tacky, so we can talk about this for a minute. At the end of deployment, before determining control of objectives. So what happens is, is while you deploy, when you deploy onto a unit, then you control objectives. That only happens after deployment is finished for both players, right? But before that happens, you can pick up to three friendly Legion of Blood units and first remove this unit from the battlefield and set it up again wholly within your territory. Then remove those friendly Legion of Blood units from the battlefield and set them up again wholly within your territory. Now, I know what you're asking. Okay, what's the situation here? Yeah, what's the situation? That doesn't sound like much. And I'll try to explain it to you really quickly. Okay, so I need a couple of different battle plans uh, to showcase this. Uh, and you're going to need to look at the screen. If you listen to the podcast, uh, then I'll try and make some references for you and try and explain it as best as possible. But if we take, uh, yeah, if we take the lurkers below, you can see that there's a territory on the far right. Um, there's a no man's land where there's no territory. So in this situation, if you're playing blue or if you're playing the territory on the far right, then what happens is, is you can take those models off the board and only redeploy them into that territory. However, when you have battle plans where the territory is touching, like for example, in the presence of idols, um, there is normally a restriction. You can't deploy units with, uh, within nine inches of the opponent's territory, for example. So you would always be nine inches away. With that redeploy Legion of Blood ability from Neferata, that removes that restriction because that's only a restriction when you deploy not a restriction on her ability to do that. So you can de deploy much closer, okay? Will that be FAQ'd? I'm not really sure, if I'm 100% honest. I'm not sure if that'll be FAQ'd. But it does mean, for a moment, Legion of Blood, which is, in my opinion, the better Legion so far, has got this other incredible ability to redeploy units very close to the enemy, which is really good if you're looking to alpha strike with combat, like, let's say, with something like um, uh, Graveguard or something, which is traditionally quite slow. So that's pretty good. Thanks, Stokesy, for resubscribing, and I hope you're well. Um, so that's her Mortark of Blood ability. Three units and Neferata, do a deep strike, do a redeploy. Also means that you could be closer to the enemy to potentially do some spells, which is also quite interesting as well. Ash is a wizard, and it's done before spellcasting even happens, which is done in the hero phase. So some nice little tech there. Like, legitimately, that's really exciting. Whether or not it survives the FAQ, that's the real point. She has the hunger because she's a vampire, so she can heal up to six wounds if damage is done in combat, which is pretty good. And then she's got a spell, and this is probably the other reason for taking her. So she has double value called Dark Mist. It's cast on a six, and it's got a range of 12 inches. Don't forget, also, if you're playing Neferata in Legion of Blood, she's going to naturally get plus one to cast when not in combat. If successfully cast, you pick one friendly Legion of Blood unit, holding the range invisible to the caster, ignore negative modifiers. This is the trick. So either do it on Neferata herself so she's more survivable. But probably the trick is to take a Legion of Blood Knights or a unit of Blood Knights, sorry. Um, and then they have a three-up armor save. Give them a Mystic Shield and also Dark Mist. This means they'll be on a two-up, unrendable armor save, which is pretty nice. Which is pretty nice. Especially if you then are deploying them right next to your opponent and then you're moving in the movement phase within three and then yeeting them in and doing what we call an alpha pin, which is pretty dominant. 
So overall, Neferata itself uh, makes it so that you can make units very unkillable and then get those units much closer. So this is just astounding in loads of ways. 290 points feels very good. Um, obviously not as much output as Manfred, but I think a lot more utility than Manfred and is a lot more scalable than Manfred, which is really important because it, a lot of hero characters and support characters are about scalability versus like uh, like versus just being like pure damage. The best example probably of pure damage characters would be a Frostlord and Stonehorn. Uh, it's probably like the best one. Even someone like Kragnos has scalability because he lets everyone within range charge on 3d6, which obviously ties really nicely with things like Tyrants. So Neferata brings double utility and double scalability to the army. Um, really good. Uh, and has the ability to also kill characters on a five, which is pretty nuts. So yeah, really like Neferata. I sub-faction. So that's, that's one of his keywords. 16 wounds with three-up armor save is nice and chunky. Very survivable. Don't forget, very much like Neferata, six-up ward save, because obviously being in sob like Gravelords. Uh, it's got a very weird, powerful, pestilent breath, uh, which is 12-inch uh, range. D6 attacks, but is rend one damage three, which is really, really odd. Meaning you could do up to 18 damage with the, to quote Kenny in the chat, the halitosis of Sigmar, uh, which is odd. Now he's got a blood lance, which is five attacks, three threes, rend two, damage three. However, on the charge, that goes up to rend three, damage three. Don't forget, if you do play them in Castellai, there's the ability to potentially add plus one damage onto that as well in Castellai if you kill like a hero uh, or a monster. So that could be uh, five attacks, three threes, rend three, damage four. Um, then you've got the Stapid Moors. Uh, he's a combat character. You can, you can run the math yourself, but he's a combat character. Also a one cast wizard with a spell Quick Blood, which is cast on a seven. Um, and if successfully cast in the, the caster, so Vordra himself, gets, plus, uh, gets um, always strikes first. And always strikes first is really good for a combat character. Uh, that works really nicely. Um, and it's until your next hero phase. So even if your opponent charges you, then you get to strike first. So that feels very, very good. It's got the hunger. Uh, so you can heal up to six wounds in combat um, from uh, units that he's, uh, models that he's slain, which is also very good. Meaning that that 16 wounds can get buffed up continuously, uh, which is genuinely very good. Um, so I like that a lot. Uh, and then you've got this new ability. He's also a war master, so you can do command abilities from 18 inches. But he's got this ability called the Fist of Nagash, which is once per turn when a Castellite vampire unit gains bonuses. If you remember and go back and re-remember uh, or go watch what happens with Castellite again. But when a Castellite unit kills a certain other type of unit, you can either get plus one damage, plus one attack, or plus one move. When that happens then you're able to give that buff to another unit, and don't forget that buffing lasts for the rest of the battle, to another vampire unit that's wholly within 24 inches. And there's also a command trait where you could do the same thing, and the general could also gain that. So one unit can go out, get the buff that you need, and Vordry can either keep it for himself or give it to someone else, and your general can also keep it. So that singular hero you kill, let's say, can give plus one damage to multiple units, which I think is in my opinion, very, very good. He can also get plus one to wound from the monstrous rampage, as Robert said, which is definitely going to significantly increase his output. So very, very good. So do I think he's phenomenal? Well, he's 470 points. Uh, oh, sorry, he's also got the terror ability. Enemy units cannot receive Inspiring Presence command while they're within three inches of uh, any unit with this ability. 
470 points is a lot of points. I guess I compare him to a Stonehorn in many ways um, because he doesn't necessarily buff any units around him except for the Fist of Nagash ability. Thank you to Ziggy for donating £10. If you are watching this on YouTube, uh, the Twitch chat have the ability to donate money while I'm recording videos. And uh, now it's their, their favourite thing. Their favourite thing to do. Uh, so I was somewhere about describing the terror rule, which enemy units cannot receive Inspiring Presence Command while they're within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. So that's really useful, in my personal opinion. Uh, that's really, really effective um, and is really good. Uh, because, yeah, anyway. Um, so, like... He's an interesting piece. 470 points, combat piece, useful in Castellai. Do I think he's the most efficient? No. Do I think he's very good if you work him in combo in Castellai? Yes. Do I think Castellai is the best self-faction? No. Do I think he's probably going to be outshone by Legion of Blood Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon? Yes. But there's still a combo there and more survivable now thanks to the ward save, thanks to uh, the additional wounds, thanks to the always strikes first. So, I really like, I really like Vordra. I think he's a good piece. The Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon. We're talking about it a lot already. The generic monster hero. Means you can give it a command trait and an artifact. 16 wounds with a 3-up armor save and is 440 points. Moves 14 inches um, and is a great melee combatant. You've got two different weapons you can choose from, the Death Lance or the Vampiric Sword. Before, before you buy your first one, you've got to ask yourself, are you going to be charging around a lot? In which case you need the Death Lance. Or are you going to be stuck in combat a lot, in which case you need the Vampiric Sword? In my personal opinion, you should definitely go for the Deathlance. The Deathlance has got three attacks, but if you are playing them in Legion of Blood, which I encourage you to do, then you can have four attacks. Uh, you hit on threes, you wound on threes, you rend two, damage two, unless you've charged, in which case it goes from rend three to damage, uh, rend three and damage three. Uh, the Snapping Moors have got three attacks, fours, threes, rend three, damage three. So hit on fours is pretty yikes. And then the sword-like claws, of which you've got seven attacks, the fours and threes, rend one, damage two. Uh, we're going to talk about those damage profiles again in a moment in Legion of Blood, because it's worth talking about. He's a wizard, uh, or they're a wizard, sorry. Uh, the unit can fly, uh, and they've got the hunger, so they can heal up to six wounds in each combat phase. You've got the Deathlance charge, which is obviously you get plus one. Uh, you get rend three, damage three on the charge. Um, then you've got Terror, so enemy units cannot receive Inspiring Presence uh, while they're within three inches, and that's great. Terror is legitimately very good uh, because it means a whole bunch of units will run away from Battleshock. I love that. I think it's good. And then you've got the Curse of Exsanguinations, which is effectively you pick a unit within 18 inches and it's cast on a seven. You do the Mortal Wound, then you roll a three up, you do another Mortal Wound, and three up and another Mortal Wound. If ever you kill a model, so for instance, if you do this to one wound model unit, you, the first model you kill, it ends. But if you do it to more units, uh, sorry, a unit with multiple wounds, then you just keep rolling that three up, doing as many mortal wounds until you've slain a model, which is pretty rad. Like, it's pretty funny, like, really fun, super engaging. Just keep rolling the three up. Your opponent's like, no, no, stop it, stop it, and roll. Now, don't forget also, um, the Vampire and Zombie Dragon will also get a five up ward save, uh, sorry, six up ward save. Uh, because obviously in Soul Black Grave Lord. Now, the real trick here, in my personal opinion, is you take this in Legion of Blood, and why would that be so good? Well, number one, you've got the monstrous action to ignore ward saves. There's lots of units in the game where ward saves are their way of surviving, and the Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon is going to be able to negate that with a heroic action, 
your opponent can't stop and just has to watch happen as it comes charging towards you. Also, you've got the ability to take the command trait in Legion of Blood, where everything hits on twos in an aura around you, up to D3 units. Um, and that's going to be very effective. Like I said, when I talked about that command trait, there's a real good conversation about whether or not that affects the mount. But I personally think it does affect the mount. And that really changes up the math on the attacks here. Uh, also, just ignoring the ward save, heroic action will also apply to the Pestilent Breath shooting attack, which is D6 shots. And don't forget, you need to generate the amount of attacks. So you roll the D6. If you roll a 1, probably don't use all out attack. But if you roll a 6, probably use all out attack because then it's going to go from 3s to 2s. Okay? Now, the important part in Legion of Blood is you can get plus 1 attack on everything. But if you do use the Deathless Minions ability or whatever it's called, uh, the command trait, then all of these attacks are now going to hit on 2s. So you're going to have 4 attacks hitting on 2s. Uh, wound on the three, rend three, damage three. You're going to have uh, four attacks uh, with the snapping more hitting on twos, where previously they were hitting on fours. Wound on threes, rend three, damage three. And then eight attacks with the sword like jaws, uh, which normally would hit on fours, but now hitting on twos. Wound on threes, rend one, damage two. So the damage on this goes up significantly. My friend Rob in the chat um, has done a little damage profile for everyone here. The uh, the Legion of Blood Velos with Doomed Minions, which is the command trait, does significantly more damage than Neferata and Prince Vordry. So there's something to be said there. So so a real smash piece that you can potentially put in your army for 440 points feels like a really good purchase. Feels like something that's going to do really well um, in the army. So I really like this, especially as that's also the sub faction that's got the Screaming Amulet, which is going to do more wounds to the enemy army when they try to cast spells. So, big fan of this. Really good. Vampire on Zombie Dragon, I think very, very good. Especially in the Legion of Blood. Okay. Okay. Maybe one of the most imaginatively designed miniatures in Age of Sigmar. Lukavi, the mother of nightmares, half, a centaur vampire, has uh, 11 wounds with three up armor saves and moves 12 inches. Um, has got a, a pretty good melee profile, but I wouldn't say an astounding melee profile, and is 300 points. Um, and has got a couple of abilities. Is a wizard and can cast one spell. Is a war master, uh, so can issue commands from 18 inches, uh, and can fly. Now, she's got a couple of abilities. The Queen Amongst Monsters one applies only to Avangori monsters, so when she's in Avangori. Uh, once per turn, at the end of the charge phase, you can pick one for any Avangori monster, wholly within 12 inches unit. You can carry two monsters rampages. Obviously, that's going to apply to her. I don't think the Avangori subfaction is particularly good, but there you go, she can definitely do that inside of that. Uh, then she's got Nightmare's Miasma, which is true for her and the Vengori Lord, which is while enemy units within three inches of any friendly ability worsen the rend characteristic by one. It's a really nice debuff in conjunction with some of the other debuffs that we've got in this book. Um, and then the three up armor saves that you get on these, mon these character monsters and also uh, Blood Knights means that you can really reduce how much rend is coming into the high armor save unit, so you can reduce a lot of damage, which I think is really good. Um, uh, then you've got uh, the hunger, so you can heal up to six wounds in the combat phase. And then she's got a special spell called, called the Queen's Dictate. The Queen's Dictate is a spell that has a casting value of six in a range of 24 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy uh, unit within range, invisible to the caster, until your next hero phase, Avangori monsters, so again, that sub-faction, are eligible to fight in the combat phase if they're within six inches of the enemy instead of three, and they compile in three inches. So you basically create 
a large sphere of influence where these Avangori monsters compile in. Obviously, she herself is an Avangori monster. You could take other um, Avangori monsters as well. Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon is obviously one of those things you could do. So that's quite an interesting little trick um, that you can do and pile in and affect people. Um, overall, though, I'm not sure that's necessarily that great. It's kind of interesting book so far. A lot of charges in your opponent's like charge phase um, options there, like the ability to go and strike them. Uh, but when you get there, you don't do overwhelming damage. You just do some. Uh, but you do have the ability to heal quite significantly with things like the hunger. I think it's quite good. Ultimately, I think she's good. 300 points feels expensive. Like 250, 270 would be better. Um, and is uh, like is quite a nice little like buff piece. Um, but only if you play an Avangori. So like, yeah, there we go. Very interesting. For 270 points, you can get yourself a Vengorian Lord. The Vengor Lords are coming. Uh, it's got 10 wounds on a 3-up armor save, moves 12 inches, and does not bracket, which is good. It's okay in a fight, 4 attacks of damage 2, 3 attacks of damage 3. Legitimately, like, okay, but, like, not wild. Fly, and is a one-cast wizard. I think maybe the better way of thinking about this is it's a very fighty one-cast wizard, much more than it is a monster fighter that's also a wizard. Um, then that you might feel a little bit better about it as a war scroll. They have an ability called Festering Feast, which is a Soulblight Gravelord's monster that is not a hero, so can't be a hero, that is wholly within 12 inches unit, that destroyed an enemy unit, can heal all of its wounds. That's legitimately quite interesting um, if you're going to go for like zombie dragons just running around on their own fighting stuff. But I don't think they're probably going to be survivable enough to make this be effective, uh, but is useful and you can have some fun with it probably. Got Nightmare Miasma, reducing down the rend of units within three inches. The Hunger, which is healing six wounds in the combat phase. And you've got Curse Reflection, which is a spell, um, which lets a, a non-hero monster, uh, Soulblight Gravelord's monster, within 24 inches, have the same uh, hunger ability that all of the named, all of the hero monsters do. Um, and so it can heal up a little bit. So Fungo Lord's pretty interesting. It feels like a support piece for other monsters, um, uh, including himself, obviously, um, which is quite interesting. But doesn't actually benefit others, other hero monsters, only benefits unridden monsters. Uh, and overall, for 270 points, I don't think that's enough for me personally. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting war scroll, but I would like to know what you think. Radical the Wolf is our next character. So this is for the Vircos dynasty. Six wounds, four up armor save, uh, and is six inches. For 130 points. Pretty good. Bravery 10 is nice as well. Is a one-cast wizard and can unbind a spell. He's got the hunger, so it can heal wounds in combat, which is quite nice. He's got call of the hunt. In the combat phase, if this unit made a charge move in the same turn, add one to the attack characteristic of melee weapons uh, used by friendly Vrycross summonable units while they're holding within 12 inches unit. So this is only going to be Vrycross units, so that's a bit of a problem. Uh, Vrycross units, sorry. and Sorry, only Vrycross summonable units. Uh, but plus one attack characteristic is legitimately a good um, ability, and we absolutely love that. He's also got a very cool ability. By the way, he's just rubbish in a fight. It's like five attacks, three, three, red, one, damage, two. It's like nothing. Um, uh, and he got loyal to the last, right? But he's only 130 points, right? And it's, uh, if this unit is within three inches of a friendly Kosagi Night Guard unit, before you allocate wounds or mortal wounds to this unit, you basically get a three-up ward save. So you can bodyguard off rule wounds to the Kosagi Night Guard. Now, I know what you're asking yourself, Rob. Who the heck are the Kasagi Night Guard? 
Well, they're a unit of two ogres, ogres, uh, but they're undead ogres. They come as a unit of two and they cost 90 points. Four wounds each with a four up armor save and a five up ward. Now, if you use the Vircos Dynasty as it's currently written, please do check for an FAQ if at time of watching this it changed. But as it's currently written, you can add D3 Kusagi Night Guard back to that unit. D3 back. Oh, sorry, you can add, the, not back to, they don't have to be slain, you can just add D3 and then add another D3. The designer's note specifically says you can do it. But, the, but right now you can also add D3 Corpse Cart, so that's probably something that needs looking at. But if you, uh, even without that one cute trick, uh, which will surprise you, I still think Radikar the Wolf, um, with a three-up three up kind of bodyguard rule, is quite nice uh, for 130 points, especially as he's going to buff units around him giving them plus one attack, uh, which feels like a nice buff when he's very, very cheap. So you've got the ability to globally scale up multiple summonable units around you, thanks to Call to the Hunt, um, uh, while also being quite survivable. So, yeah, quite nice. Quite nice. Radical the Beast up next, 290 points. And he's got the big, beefy 12 wounds. Don't forget, six up ward save, four up armor save. Moves eight inches and can run and charge. Uh, when we're talking about survivability, he's also got supernatural reflexes, so to track one from hit and wound rolls for attacks that target the model. Okay, not too bad, not too bad. Run and charge, so he's quite mobile as well, potential 14 inches of movement, and then can charge 2d6. He's also got Call to the Hunt, which is the same as we saw on Redicar the Wolf, which is the ability to add plus one attack characteristic to friendly Veikos summonable units while they're wholly within 12 inches of unit um, when they made a charge move. It's got the hunger to heal, which is nice, up to six, and with a larger wound cap, um, can potentially take uh, take more damage, but still heal it up, which I think is interesting. And then he's got an ability where any sixes to hit with his blood slick claws, of which he gets six attacks, does two mortal wounds, uh, and then the attacks stop. This is an interesting piece, because what he does is he gives out a plus one attack aura to units around him. But other than that, absolutely everything... Uh, on his war scroll is to do with his survivability. Oh, sorry, one last thing. He's got an ability called the Beast Will Out, which is if he takes any damage in a phase, he can move up to D6 inches as long as um, this unit is more than 12 inches from all enemy units, which will just never happen because the game and you're always close to people. So um, he's an interesting piece because his, his war scroll says you can buff units around him uh, with Call to the Hunt, but you could do that with the previous version and he's a lot cheaper. This is 290 points, the other's 130. Um, then you say, okay, well then he's a fighting unit. And at 290 points, he's got 12 attacks at damage too, which is okay. Not terrible. Like, he's legitimately pretty good. Um, but it's not, like, astounding, especially if I can take 20 Graveguard for 280 points. Um, and then that's a lot more attacks uh, at damage too. So... Um, but he's fast and mobile, but this seems like an army that's going to want to fight around itself. Like, And then when he does run away, the minus one to hit, minus one to wound, six up ward save, and maybe even have an ogre bodyguard could make him more survivable. But then what's he being survivable doing? Because it's not killing loads. Um, so that's kind of interesting as well. I think ultimately I maybe would take Radical the Wolf over Radical the Beast. Um, oh yeah, Sigvald's a good example. Thank you, Joe, in the chat. 210 points and will actually actually slap a bitch. Uh, and this guy maybe will stroke a bitch. Uh, and that's fine. 
Uh, but <laughs> uh, there we go. The new character, Evaya Volga. Again, we're in Veikos. Lots of characters in Veikos. Lots. Six wounds, four up armor saves, move six inches. Now she's got 2d6 uh, attack in close combat and five attacks in close combat that damage two. The 2d6 are fours and fours. Rend one, damage one, so there's a little bit of nothing. However, if she does have any wounds assigned to her, then it becomes flat 12 attacks, which again, is still pretty rubbish. Uh, the Hunger is an ability to heal in combat. And then she's got the Behemoth Bane, which is quite an interesting piece of anti-monster tech. If an enemy monster are within three inches of this unit, this unit counts as 10 models. So if you're in combat, and for the purpose of contesting objective, in addition, while an enemy monster is within three inches of this unit, the attack characteristics of that monster's melee weapons are one. So she debuffs enemy monsters so drastically that each one of their melee profiles is only one. However, with only six wounds on a four-up armor save, even, even a mighty stomp is going to be close to killing her. So I don't think she's necessarily going to survive. But three inches, you could potentially screen her out and drop her in the right place if monsters are prevalent. But monsters are normally much faster than a Via Volga is going to be. So being able to shut them down, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. 135 points for the opportunity to shut down a monster. Uh, it's whether or not you think monsters are enough of an issue. Could be really fun with your friends, um, charging her in and making it so they've only got one attack is quite fun. And she's minus one to hit uh, from the Shrieking Swarm. So uh, that makes those monsters even less effective. But any other unit catches her out and she probably is going to die. Fun with friends, seal of approval. Next up, the Granny Vampire. Riding a wolf, Belladama Volga, the first of the Veercross. Nine wounds on a four-up armor save and very fast at movement 10. Now, she isn't necessarily what you would call a combat character with only four attacks that are damaged too, so that's not really her job. She does have two uh, casts, though. She's a two-cast wizard and is a warmaster, so you can issue command abilities uh, from quite far away, 18 inches. She has a plus one to cast, dispelling and unbinding rolls, um, and if they're within, if she's within three inches of any Veercross direwolves, then she gets to bodyguard wounds that she suffers onto the wolves on a three-up, which is great. Um, she has the hunger, so she's able to heal up to six wounds in combat. It's going to be a little bit more difficult because her attack profile is pretty weak, but she's got a nice beefy nine wounds to keep healing into. Also, don't forget she has a six-up ward. Um, but she does have two unique spells, one of them which I think is really important, and especially at the incredibly cheap point of 170 points, I definitely think I would bring uh, I would bring her all the time. She's got Under the Killing Moon, which is the one I would take a lot of. And what this does is you pick a unit within 20 in 24 inches, a friendly unit, and if you successfully cast an attack zero phase, unmodified hit roll for an attack made by a melee weapon by that unit, but it is only a Veercross unit. Holy range of the caster is a six. The attack scores two hits. Oh no, it's all. It's an aura. I apologize. It's not a single unit. It's an aura. And it's 24 inches. Holy hell. Holy hell. 24 inch aura exploding sixes. So you effectively become, this is incredible. It's incredible. And it's only cast on a six. So because she gets plus one to cast, it's cast on a five. My God. So everyone in an aura gets exploding sixes um, on 24 inches, but they have to be Veercross units. Um, so a uh, little bit different. Uh, and then she has another spell called Lycan Curse, which is a cast on seven, a range of 18 inches. You do D3 mortal wounds, and for every wound that you cause, you can set up a unit of direwolves um, uh, up to D3 models. If you, you do three mortal wounds, you do you set up D3 uh, direwolves, basically. 
uh, within range, which is nice, especially if you've then got the heroic action um, uh, to add D3 more to a unit. So you could kind of do that really fun thing where you like generate a unit, then you add more to that unit, and it can become a legitimately scary unit, which is quite fun. I think for 170 points, if you're playing Veercross and you're planning to run this sort of build, I think she's a bit of a steal, personally. I think if you're not going to take her in an army uh, of Veercross, I think she's maybe not as good. But a two-cast wizard that's a war master um, and can still do Lycan Curse feels pretty decent. So yeah, I'd say all over, fantastic. The next unit is Gorslav the Gravekeeper. Seven wounds and a six-up save, and now is only in the Veercross dynasty. He's got two special abilities. One of them, he's got a two-up bodyguard rule, so effectively can pass wounds off uh, from him, but only onto zombie units if he's within three inches. And then he's got another ability that once per turn at the end of your movement phase, you can return a slain Veercross Dynasty zombie unit, specifically, uh, that has been destroyed, and a new replacement unit with half of them can pop up. So now you've got um, keyword zombies, yeah, of course. So now what you've got is the ability to use your battle trait to bring back a slain unit and also Gorslav to bring back a slain unit like at the same time. So that's pretty interesting because then you can recycle quite a lot of units. So even your opponent killing stuff means you're going to bring units back, uh, which I think is really interesting. Uh, he's 120 points, is only really going to be effective if you're taking lots of zombies. But if you are taking lots of zombies, then I'd probably take Gorslav. Okay, the next up is Torgillus the Chamberlain. is 125 points. He's six wounds on a six-up armor save. Um, and he's got like an okay shooting attack, which is pretty crazy. The Necrotizing Bolts. 2d6 shots, fours and fours, rend one, damage two. And he's got Claws and Fangs, which is terrible in a fight. He's a wizard and can cast a spell. But the important part is he's got the Trusted Lieutenant ability, which is uh, friendly very across summonable units have a ward of five up while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Now, don't forget, you've also got an artifact that you can take um, in the uh, Veercross Dynasty, um, which allows you to add plus one to the Deathless Minions battle trait. So that won't affect this. You can't go from a five plus to a four plus. But what you can do is you can have two different heroes with a five plus ward bubble, meaning that your units are much more survivable, which is quite interesting. Have Belladama as well. So then you've got a 24 inch aura bubble of exploding sixes feels quite nice. Um, however, doesn't have a bodyguard rule, has only got six wounds, and has only got six up save. So a uh, little bit fragile, to be honest, but is surrounded by hopefully loads of other units keeping him safe. For 90 points, you can get three models of the Veercross Bloodborne. Uh, they're three wounds each, that's nine wounds with a six up armor save. So not very survivable at all. Not survivable. However, um, They've got an okay melee profile, three attacks each, threes, threes, rend one damage too. And they're also elite, which means they can issue commands themselves. So it's going to be nine attacks that are damaged too. So not bad for 90 points, but they've got some other cool features as well. They've got Shadow Fast, which is after deployment before the first turn begins, they get a 10-inch pre-game move. Don't forget that when you make pre-game moves in Age of Sigmar, that means that if you land that pre-game move unit on an objective, you count as having held that objective. So your opponent is going to come and have to take it off you, which is pretty good. I also like the idea that you get that 10-inch move, and then if you take the first turn, another 10-inch move, you're legitimately moving 20 inches, and you're threatening the enemy army, which I think is really, really great. And three of them could definitely maybe take out a character or put a little bit of hurt on a monster. Uh, then you've got Vampiric Agility, which means they just get to move uh, over units and terrain features the same manner 
as a unit that can fly. And then they've got the hunger, so they can heal models uh, in their unit as well. Each time unit fights, um, uh, like, and those attacks are allocated, so they can just heal wounds into the unit. So 90 points, very fragile, can't resummon them when they're dead. Um, like, not brilliant, but they have some very interesting tech and utility and add some speed into the army in a very unique way. Also, what they do is they create what we call zone, uh, they create zoning or they zone out the board. So what I effectively mean is if you imagine a board and you picture that on you deploy a whole army on the left-hand side of the board and then you just put a couple of these units out, then that means anything that wants to deep strike won't be able to land because you've zoned the board with these units quite far out, which is nice because it stops things like KO Alpha shooting or maybe even uh, anything that wants to deep strike and charge you, which is very cool. Um, uh, so yeah, like and also fast enough and cheap enough to eat and unleash hell for your big units is another great shout. I love that idea. Thank you to JP in the chat. So again, just super clear, not like overly brilliant, but they're very cheap and they do something quite utilitarian, which is quite important in the game in a lot of ways. Good skirmish unit, quite likely. For 110 points, you can get the Watch Captain Halgrim. He's got, he's an okay, he's got five attacks that are damaged too. In fact, most of the characters in this book have got five attacks that damage too, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, they've got five wounds and a four up armor save, um, so he's kind of okay. I mean, he's very cheap. He's 110 points. Uh, any sixes to hit with um, his Cursed Halberd are going to do two mortal wounds in addition. Uh, but if you are going to bring him along, which I doubt, uh, it's going to be because of the Disciplined Advance rule, which you can choose three friendly Veercross Death Rattle units. So incredibly specific. Again, you're playing in the Veercross Dynasty. Um, if you do so, no command points are spent. The second and third time, this uh, issue it's issued. So you can basically do three runs, so and a run of a total of six for three Beer Cross Death Row units. So um, run three units, a maximum of six, and it only costs you one CP. It's fine, like it's not great, but I guess it makes your army more mobile, which is kind of okay. For 110 points, you can get the Wolf Yogurt, the Var Skier. Eight wounds and a five up save and moves eight inches. He's got four attacks and D3 attacks, uh, which are all damage two and Ren 1 and Ren 2. Um, and then he's got Bounding Leaps, which is, means he can charge from 3D6. Uh, charge on 3D6 from 18 inches away. Uh, and then he's also got the Hunger, so when he gets into combat, he's going to be able to heal up to six wounds. Um, just don't take him. Is well, just That's a review. 90 points for two models of Kosagi Nightguard. Ogres! Who bodyguard people. <laughs> it's pretty fun. They've got four wounds and a four-up armor save, and they move eight inches. They have a ward save of five plus as well, so they're legitimately not actually bad. But unfortunately, they only have two attacks each, four attacks in total for the unit. They hunt threes, wound on threes, rend one, damage two. Um, and they do have the ability to add plus one attacks to their weapons if they're within 12 inches of Radicar the Wolf or Radicar the Beast. As we talked about earlier, if it maintains that you can add multiple of these with the Veercross. Uh, heroic action, then this is legitimately a very interesting unit. If not, this is probably an okay unit, and that's about it. 110 points for a phenomenal mini. Lady Annika has got six wounds, a four up armor save, and a four up ward save. She has the hunger, so she's got the ability to heal wounds every time she fights, which is good. And this unit has the ability to go into deep strike and deploy into your opponent's territory, but still has to be nine inches away and can do that during deep strike. Uh, during deployment, sorry. And then finally, she got the Kiss of the Blade Probzokian. Definitely said that wrong. Pretty wounds or attacks were caused by this. 
to a hero or monster and that enemy unit was not slain, then you worsen the uh, save characteristic of them by one um, uh, to a minimum of six for the rest of the battle. So very, very cheap. Very, very cheap. Very, very cheap. Crazy, crazy cheap. Uh, is it good? Pfft, no. Uh, but, like, is there? So you can take it. Good with friends. Stamp of approval. Good with friends. 120 points for Kritzer the Rat Prince. Six wounds on a four-up save. He's got the hunger, so anytime he fights, he's going to be able to heal wounds. Uh, but, which is kind of incongruent with the next rule, which is called Scurrying Retreat, because he's a vampire that is surrounded and powered by rat blood. Um, and so in the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight, you can say it will make a scurrying retreat. If you do so, that unit retreats instead of fighting. Uh, and then, <laughs> so kind of like, okay, he can heal, but also run away. The main reason you maybe take him, though, is the Verminous Court, which is at the start of the combat phase. You can pick uh, one enemy within one inch of this unit that has an artifact of power. On a three plus, you basically steal it, or you break it, or you turn it off. Or whatever you want to think about it narratively, but for the rest of the battle, they can no longer use that artifact. And if it was like on a weapon or something, it reverts to its normal form. 120 points to steal an artifact is kind of interesting. I'm not going to lie. Especially fun if you want to be like one of them weird narrative dudes uh, who just runs around saying, Oh, I'm going to steal your artifact, steal your artifact. Maybe keep a tally of how many crits are stolen. He's also summonable. If he does eventually get slain, you will be able to attempt to rally him back from the dead, which is really cool and quite fun. Would I take him in a list? No. But he's interesting. For 135 points, I know, crazy, 135 points, you can take Kado Ezekiah, the Hollow King. He's six wounds with a three-up armor save and move six inches. He's a one-cast wizard, but there's an important point to make about this one-cast wizard. Kado Ezekiah, and if you read his narrative text, says he cannot gain a sub-faction keyword. So he's already in a weird section of um, uh, the kind of game. Uh, he's already in a weird section of the game because he now cannot benefit from any of the other allegiance abilities or sub-faction. So sorry, he can benefit from allegiance abilities and battle traits, but not sub-faction battle traits. Uh, but he's a one-cast wizard and is a pretty rubbish uh, fighter. He's got the hunger so he can heal, which is whatever. Um, he's got the Court of the Lost, though, which is an ability, right? Uh, at the start of the hero phase, if the student's on the battlefield, you can say it will summon a spirit from the Court of the Lost. If you do so, pick one of the following abilities. The unit can move 14 inches, and when Kenny gets there, he can do pretty much nothing. You can add one to the casting, unbinding, and dispelling rolls of the unit, which is fine. He's got his own unique spell. And finally, you've got Spirit of the Fallen, which is if an attack made by this, unit's, uh, this unit wounds a target, that attack causes a number of mortal wounds, equal to the damage characteristic of this weapon, and he's damaged too. So you could do two mortal wounds for each attack, right? I don't think he's rubbish with a mortal wound stance. Um, I think that, like, he's fine um, uh, for 135 points, uh, but it, it really does feel, in my personal opinion, like Soulbright Gravelords is an army to do with, um, uh, like, economies of scale versus, like, like 135-point melee character. But maybe he's great. Um, uh, and then uh, he's got Retribution and Salvation, uh, which is his spell, which is a spell which is 18 inches, which either does D3 mortal wounds to enemy units, three mortal wounds to chaos, or potentially resurrects D3 models into a summonable Gravelord's unit, uh, Soulblight Gravelord's unit, which is quite interesting. Uh, so another way to return 
D3 Mortal Wounds, two Soblike Bivlords, summonable unit. Um, overall, uh, interesting, the chat are big on him. Like, they absolutely love him. They think he's a great little character for darting in, doing some damage and running away, or maybe not even doing that, just kind of like exploding some damage. Quite interesting for the army. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to know what you think about Kato. I'm not sure. The Vampire Lord is 130 points, five wounds and a three-up armor save, is a wizard. So you're paying normally like 80, 90 points for a wizard anyway, so you've already got that. He's an okay melee fighter, not good. Five attacks, three threes, run one damage, two. Like, we'll fight something, maybe. Um, and then it's got the hunger, so it can heal, which is important. But the bit that's really important here is the ability. It's not a command ability, and it's not a spell. Once per turn, at the start of the combat phase, you can pick a friendly summoner, uh, summonable soul-like Gravelord's unit, wholly within 12 inches of this unit, and add one to the attack characteristic of that unit's melee weapon until the end of that phase. The same unit cannot benefit from this twice, but you can take multiple Vampire Lords and buff multiple units. This feels like a bit of like a wombo combo that's starting to form in this army. You're getting plus one attack onto a unit. We already know there are other ways to get plus one attack uh, from Auras, which is quite nice, whether it be from Manfred, whether it be from Radikar, uh, which is quite nice. And then um, uh, we know we can get Explosion Sixes from Belladama. So you could get a lot of attacks that do a lot of damage, which I think is quite interesting. So quite like the Vampire Lord, and it's also a caster, so you're going to be able to cast one of those great spells that we saw earlier. So I think pretty good uh, for 130 points. Great opportunity for someone to carry uh, either um, a good artifact or carry a good command trait. So shout out on the Vampire Lord, I think. Okay, so we're going to talk about Blood Knights now. Uh, Blood Knights are three wounds each with a three-up armor save, and they move 10 inches. They come in a unit of five, and they're 230 points. So you get 15 wounds on a three-up armor save and obviously a six-up ward save. Um, okay, they're bravery 10, so they're not really going to run away, and they move 10, which is quite quick or quick enough. Um, uh, you get to reroll ones for the Deathless Minions battle trait thanks to the standard bearer, and you get to add plus one attack to the champion. This means that you're going to get 16 attacks from the Templar Lance or Templar Blade, um, which is three attacks, threes, threes, ren two, damage one. On the charge, you get to add one to the damage uh, characteristic of this unit's melee weapons, but it doesn't affect the mount. So in total, you're going to have 16 attacks at Ren 2, damage 2, which is quite nice. Obviously, if you take him in the Castelli, you can add plus one attack to that and also plus one damage. So you could have these guys at 16 attacks, Rend uh, 2, but damage 2. Oh, no, sorry. No, 21 attacks um, at Ren 2, damage 3, which is pretty crazy. Um, oh yeah, and plus one attack in Legion of Blood as well is another way to get plus one attack. So there are ways to kind of increase how many attacks that you're going to get on this unit. They've also got the Hunger, so if you do have a wounded one of these, you could kill something and then heal some back. Now the thing that's going to be quite important is the Riders of Ruin ability, which is models in the unit can pass across other models with a wounds characteristic of three or less. Um, in the same model, or, uh, same manner as a model that can fly. So don't forget, you've got to finish outside of three inches of that unit. Um, after this unit has moved, roll a dice for each enemy unit that has any models it passed across. On a two plus, it suffered D3 mortal wounds. Now, they've written the word move instead of uh, a normal move, which is what you do in the movement phase, a charge move, which is what you do in the charge phase, and a piling move, which you do in the piling, uh, uh, sorry, in the piling step, which is exactly what happened with Noblars. So this means a unit of five of these can do uh, 3d3 mortal wounds when it moves, 
charges and then piles across you, which is pretty impressive. And doing that with multiple units of blood knights could be very, very effective. Um, so you could have multiple small units or MSU of blood knights and then be able to just keep popping over units and doing lots of mortal wounds. Quite fun. The other trick probably with the blood knights is having a big unit of 10 or maybe 15 and then making it so that Neferati casts a spell so you can't uh, affect their uh, armor save negatively, which means you could give them a mystic shield and then they have a two-up armor save, which ignores rend, uh, which is pretty devastating, creating what we call an alpha... Uh, oh, you can't do 15, so only a 10. Uh, creating what we call an alpha pin list. So uh, reinforce them once and have a unit of 10, uh, move them up, and then pin the rest of the enemy army in, which is quite interesting. Feels like a unit that you want to keep moving, though, um, uh, which I quite like uh, a lot. But yeah, a very, very interesting unit. Very powerful. Lots of output. Lots of damage. Um, whether or not we'll sit on the tabletop. I think we will because the armor saves very effective. Um, but other than that, you aren't necessarily giving them lots of attacks. Um, and you're not really bumping them up other than the charge. So it's whether or not they're going to get locked in combat is the real question. For 155 points, you could take a unit of three Vargeists that have got four wounds each for a 12 wounds on a five-up armor save. They've got three attacks each, so that's nine for the unit, um, plus one for the champion, so ten, three threes, rend one, damage two. You can put a deep strike, and uh, you can use the hunger to heal some models up, uh, but um, any sixes to hit are going to cause two mortal... Uh, sorry, are going to be two hits on the target instead of one. So they're... Fast movement 12 or deep striking, Ogre Balls, which is only a unit of three. Um, there are 155 points. So if you were to take it up to the natural unit of six that you get for Ogre Gluttons, um, then they would be uh, 310 points. So they'd be, uh, they'd be 50 points more than Ogre Gluttons. So they're not really worth it because Gluttons are also terrible. Um, so therefore, not very useful. If you're going to deep strike them, there's better units to deep strike. If you're going to fight, there are better units to fight. If you're going to fly, there are better units to fly. They're expensive uh, for what they do, and therefore, I'm out. For 180 points, you can get the Warcry Warband, the Askurgan True Blades. They've got two wounds each with a four-up armor save, apart from two other models, uh, which have got four wounds each. The champion's got four wounds, as has the Curse Blood. For a total of 20 wounds for the unit on a four-up armor save, obviously with a six-up ward save. They've also got the Hunger, uh, so you can heal wounds into the unit, which is quite useful on those two four-wound models. Don't forget you can't return slain models, but you can definitely uh, heal up those four-wound models, which is quite nice. They've got the Gut-Wrenching Howl, which is the ability to apply the Strike Last effect on a unit once they've charged it. And they've got the ability that when they fight monsters, uh, they can add plus three inches to their move, um, which is quite nice, and monsters are minus one to hit them. Overall, they're a very interesting unit. If you were to take them in the Castellai sub-faction, you could potentially take them up to having 26 attacks, 29 attacks, sorry, at damage 2, which for 180 points feels quite good, but you have to have already achieved some things to do that. But we already know with the Castellai buff, especially if you took Vordry, for example, uh, you'd be able to potentially use another unit to go out and get the buffs and then apply it to the True Blades first. Uh, fighting last is also really good as well because these guys get to hit. Um, they're a really interesting unit. Honestly, uh, I'm not 100% sold on them, but I'm also not against them. I think it could be quite fun. You can reinforce them, uh, which is quite interesting because then you can obviously double stack those bonuses, which I quite like. 
Um, but like, I like them. But I, I think maybe Graveguard just do the job better. But then they've got the vampire keyword, so they've got a load of buffs on the vampire keyword. Honestly, a very interesting unit. You might even be able to build combos around these, which I think is quite interesting. And then, yeah, yeah, very interesting unit. Really like these. For 310 points, you get the Bloodseeker Palaquin, which is legit a phenomenal miniature, in my personal opinion. It's got 12 wounds and a 4-up armor save, and moves 14 inches. So it feels like a really fast mobile combat unit. Only it doesn't really do any combat, which is the problem. Uh, so there's that. It is a wizard, though, and can cast a spell. It flies, which is nice, and it's got the hunger so it can heal, which is really fun. It's got a promising concoction, which is an ability where the first time an enemy hero is slain by the attack made by this unit, which is a really hopeful ability because it's unlikely to happen. Add one to the attack characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly vampire units while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit. And you can carry out two different heroic actions with this unit, start the hero phase instead of one, which you're not going to do because you're not going to put it on the board. It's got an ability called Whale of the Damned, which is in each of your shooting phases, roll a dice for each enemy unit within range. The units, uh, range of this unit's Whale of the Damned ability, the range of this unit's Whale of the Damned is uh, shown on the map, and it says it's 16 inches to start with, and then on a 4+, plus, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. So if you were to take multiples of these, you could do multiple... Uh, Whale of the Dams, which is legitimately really interesting, but it's also going to be on the Mortis engine. We'll talk about that in a minute, because that's cheaper. And then it's got a spell called Blood Siphon, which is cast on six. You pick an enemy hero within 12 inches, and they take some more wounds. This is just bin, uh, in the bin, bin tier, beautiful model, really let down by rules, which is super sad. Don't take it, don't buy it, don't. For 230 points, you've got the Mortis engine. The Mortis engine kind of has this weird, like, feature in the list where it's either going to be auto include uh, in some builds or you can build an incredible meme list around it. So 12 wounds with a 4 up save, 230 points and it moves 14 inches. It's got it's terrible in combat that's not really what it's about and it can fly but it's got a couple of abilities now it's got the aforementioned uh, Whale of the Damned shooting attack that we talked about on the Coven Throne which is in your shooting phase roll a dice for each enemy within range and it's 16 inches. On a 4 plus they take D3 mortal wounds. You can take multiple of these. You could have four. So realistically, math-wise, you're going to be doing, and it's in the shooting phase as well, so it moved 14, shoot 16, so you've got a 30-inch range. So really, you're going to be doing uh, basically 2D3 mortal wounds to every unit within 16 inches, which is significant. That's if you were to take four, but at 230 points, that would be 1,000 points. So it's a bit of a meme. However, it kind of adds on to the meme in that you can build the Mortis Bomb, which is using the Reliquary. Anytime a spell is cast by a Soulblight Gravelord's Wizard or a spell is unbound um, by a Soulblight Gravelord's Wizard, uh, you get to add one to the Reliquary counter for each one of the Mortis engines that's nearby. Um, and then up to a maximum of six. And then, once per battle in your hero phase, you can say that you'll un... It's literally the scene from Indiana Jones. You unleash it, you've got to be within six inches, and then whatever your counter is at, you do that many mortal wounds to each enemy unit within six inches. Now, of course, this is going to be really difficult to organize because it happens in your hero phase, which means you need to have already been in combat with them in the previous turn, and you've needed to survive, and with 12 wounds and a four-up save, you probably haven't survived. However, 
it's six inches, so you can screen with some zombies, some dogs. Uh, don't forget, you've got the summonable battle traits, so like you can summon units in front of. Keep summoning screens in front of them is kind of interesting. Uh, and then just keep pinging mortal wounds. Um, so all of that is a like really fun meme build and maybe incredible. Maybe incredible. But the the uh, the main reason I feel like this might be an auto-include in some builds is because of the nexus of death energy, which is each time you pick a friendly soul-like gravelord summonable unit older than 12 inches of this unit being the deathly invocation battle trait, you need to heal up to D3 plus 3 wounds, uh, allocate to that unit instead of 3, or um, you can return that many wounds. So it basically adds D3 on to these units, which is very, very strong. So... That feels like if you're going for a summonable build, summonable build where you're trying to like have ward saves, you're trying to rally units back into uh, units, you're trying to like keep summoning units back in, it feels like the Mortis engine is something you're going to want to do because it's going to affect each one of those in Deathly Invocations, So and you get three. So that already is pretty powerful, uh, in my personal opinion, and that's great. So, like... Love that, and I think that's quite good. So you might see more of these on the table than you've ever seen before. For 275 points, you can get a Coven Throne, which is a hero, so it means it can take a command trait and an artifact. It's got 12 wounds and a 4-up armor save, and is a vampire. So be careful late at night with your model. It's terrible in combat. It moves 14 inches and is a wizard, so it can cast a spell and unbind a spell. Probably the first thing we should talk about is the fact that it's got a really cool spell, fun with your friends, not necessarily fun in game. It's got a range of only 12 inches and it's cast on a 7, but you pick an enemy hero, take D3 mortal wounds. If you kill that hero, you get to set up a vampire lord within 3 inches of where it was slain. How awesome is that? That's pretty fun. Uh, and then we've got tactical insight. This unit can issue the same command up to two times. This is a special ability uh, in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly sob like Gravelord summonable unit. So you won't be able to do it on vampires, only summonables. So double rallies, double all-out defense, um, which is quite nice. And you don't have to spend a command point for the second one. Normally, you can only do rally or all-out defense once in a phase. But this allows you to break that, which is quite engaging, uh, maybe for your army, especially if you were going to do something with, I know, Graveguard, let's say, and you wanted to do a double command for them, like rallies or something. Uh, thank you to uh, Lord Oshawott, a subscriber for the first time. Love that. Um, it's also got the hunger, so on its 12 wounds with a 4-up save, it is going to be able to heal some wounds back into it if it does some damage in combat, which, based on its profile, it will not. And finally, it's got the scrying pool, which is if you take the first turn in the current battle round, this unit can attempt to cast one extra spell in your hero phase. If you take the second turn in the current battle round, you receive an extra command point. So, extra command points or extra casts, a unique spell, uh, and a very survivable caster, if you'd like to run a caster, um, has the ability to issue commands quite uniquely versus other units uh, in multiples. 275 points for an opportunity cost. It feels like you know that you're always issuing two commands to a unit um, when you do it, so that's something to be really conscious of. Um, you're building this into the list because you want this in the list to do the job that it does, and then an outside opportunity, you'd like to turn someone into a vampire lord. Uh, you maybe even could do that through a spell portal, which is quite fun. Um, because you could do the global spell to do two mortal wounds at range, do the D3, get a vampire lord in their back lines, hilarious stuff. Um, it's quite expensive, um, so I'm not necessarily super keen on it, and it doesn't overly integrate with the rest of the army, so not necessarily sure I'm a huge fan.
A zombie dragon is 300 points. It's 14 wounds with a four-up armor save, and it is just a combat monster. Um, it's got the terror ability and can fly. Uh, the terror ability is inspiring presence, cannot be uh, issued to friendly units within uh, twelve in, uh, three inches of it. Uh, and that's pretty good um, uh, because uh, there's loads of big bricks of units that you maybe want to make it so they can't receive inspiring presence. So that's kind of an okay ability. 14 wounds on a 4-up save kind of makes it okay, but 300 points is way too expensive for its survivability. And its output is just average, fortunately. So absolutely not worth the points. Uh, but you can put it into Deep Strike, which is cool and fun. And obviously it could be Battleline in Avengori, which is interesting, but it's not for me. The Terrorgeist, interestingly, doesn't have the Terror special rule. Weird. 14 wounds with a 4-up save and it's 300 points. Moves 14 inches and is a combat monster with a unique shooting attack, which uh, rolls a dice and adds a value in its chart. And then it sees what your bravery is and at whatever it beats it by, then you do that many mortal wounds. So if you've got low bravery, it's fantastic. If you've got high bravery, it's not very good. It's got an okay melee profile with the potential to do 18 mortal wounds with a gaping maw. It's got three attacks with that. And if the unmodified hit roll an attack made by this uh, fanged maw is a six, uh, then you do uh, flat six mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends, which is kind of fun and nice. Uh, so there's a lot of output potential there. And then finally, you've got infested. This unit is destroyed before it's removed from play. Each enemy within three inches suffers D3 mortal wounds. Ultimately, this is kind of cool, but it feels like really this should be having a mounted hero on top of it to make it more fun. 300 points is quite expensive. Uh, but it can do a lot of damage in the right situation. Uh, so yeah, and obviously you can use it better in Vengori. So there's that. Onto the White King, a summonable hero. So you will be able to use the ability to bring him back from the dead, which is pretty awesome. Five wounds with a three-up save. We love that. Love a three-up save on a foot character. But he's slow and only moves four inches. He's got five attacks in close combat and any sixes to hit cause two mortal wounds in addition. So if he does end up in a fight, going to be slapping some fools. The Lord of Shambling Bones ability is very nice. It lets him pick either Death Roll Skeletons or Grave Guard and give them exploding sixes. The only sixes to hit are going to cause uh, two uh, wound rolls instead of just one. And you can take multiple White Kings and do this multiple times, which is quite nice. Also, and I think this is really, really fun in my personal opinion. Oh, he's summonable, so you can also go in ambush. That's a really good point. One of my also my favorite things, if he's the general, then you can have Graveguard as battle line, which is kind of perfect, in my opinion. Graveguard are great, love it. Okay, next up is another summonable hero. It's a White King, but this time it's on Skeletal Steed, and he's even beefier. 160 points, seven wounds, three up save, moves 12 inches. Is pretty nominal in a fight, which is fine. Uh, he's got the King's Charge, which is after this unit makes a charge move, you could pick uh, an enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice on a two plus, the enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. But the real reason that we're really excited about him is because of the Lord of the Trampling Bones ability. You can reroll charge rolls for friendly Black Knights units holding within 12 inches of this unit. And let me tell you, we love that. We love that. In addition, if a friendly Black Knight unit finishes a charge move wholly within 12 inches of this unit, the effect of its deathly charge ability triggered on a 4 plus instead of 5. So I know what you're asking yourself, Rob, what the hell does that do? Well, the Black Knights, uh, I'll just get the chat to tell me how many points the Black Knights are again, uh, come in units of five, okay? Uh, and in Legion of Blood, they will be battle line units, right? There are 110 points for five. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. 
They're ten. Uh, they're five models, and they're two wounds each. That's ten wounds on a five up armor save. So I wouldn't describe them as particularly tanky, but for 110 points, you don't really care. They also move five inches, and they've got some pretty woeful, woeful close combat attacks with two attacks each. Um, uh, they've got a standard bearer that lets them re-roll the Deathless Minions roll of a one, which is fine. Uh, but the real trick, the real trick is the Deathly Charge. Yes, the mounted uh, White King, who I just talked about, is also summonable. So if you do make him your general, he, you are going to be able to summon him back if he is slain. Uh, the Black Knights are also summonable. So if you were to take them in Legion of Blood and have a unit 15, then when you wipe that, when it was wiped out, you would potentially be able to uh, bring back a unit of eight. Because uh, you bring back half rounding up. Also, don't forget if they're near an objective, are you going to be able to bring uh, three plus one uh, wounds back? So basically, two units, uh, two models of Black Knights to up to three units. Okay. Now, the real secret source is their Deathly Charge. Yeah, or as Double Bluffers called them, the Bone Grot Bounders. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy within an inch of this unit. And if you do so, you roll two dice for each model in this unit. For each five plus, the target suffers a mortal wound. So you're saying to me, Rob, what, 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 what is happening there? Like, okay, let me just run through it again because it's crazy stuff. You got a unit of five, and then you're near a white king. You charge in. That means you're going to roll ten dice, two dice for each model in the unit, and then every four plus is a mortal wound. That's incredible stuff. So that means you're going to be doing five mortal wounds straight away. If you have a unit of fifteen. That's 15 mortal wounds on the charge, and you've got to re-roll that charge to make sure you've got in successfully. They also move 12 inches, so they're also very fast. Yeah, that's amazing. And it only costs you 330 points. Take two units of them, and you can do 30 mortal wounds on the charge, um, and then uh, you get to re-roll those charges. And you've still only spent the price of a White King and two units of 15 Black Knights to be doing some crazy stuff. You can obviously um, get them locked in combat, which is a bit of a problem um, because they're not going to ever be able to fight their way out of it, but it's just all the damage all the time. Black Knights, phenomenal. Summonable, phenomenal. White King, summonable, phenomenal. Incredible. Going to like get the Black Knights out. That's what I'm saying. For 140 points, you get a unit of 10 Graveguard. Uh, they've got one wound each and a five-up armor save, so they're not that survivable, but obviously... Uh, with the ability to return models to units, then you can kind of take a little bit of damage and keep adding them back on. I would always take the great white blades on this unit if you're going to build these units uh, because they get two attacks each, hit on fours, wound on threes, rend one, but importantly, they're damage two. And the reason that this is so important is because that damage two uh, is something you can keep stacking more attacks onto in this army. You can get additional pluses to attack on the great white blades. Uh, I think we can get up to plus two, might be up to plus uh, three. And they do have two-inch reach, so even if you take a unit of uh, 20 or 30, you should be able to attack with all of them, right? And we know we can got loads and loads of extra attacks on these uh, because we can have extra attacks, then we can have exploding sixes, and they've got a special rule called Cursed Weapons, where any sixes to wound are going to do mortal wounds in addition. The only thing that's a bit of a problem that I have is that it's Rend 1, and I would love to have seen them get Rend 2, they can punch through some armor, but we're talking about a huge volume of attacks with potentially additional mortal wounds. Uh, they get to reroll their uh, Deathless Minion save, and they get automatic six-inch charges thanks to the musician. I love Graveguard. I think they're great. I think they're really, really good in this army um, because they bring something quite un not unique, 
but something really good, an absolute hammer unit that isn't really that expensive. 280 points for 20 will see you doing a lot of damage, in my personal opinion. So yeah, love them. The only other downside is they're slow. So something to think about. But they're summonable, so you can bring them out of the ground. If you have a unit of 20, you can bring a unit of 10 back, which is amazing. But yeah, Graveguard, more like Great Guard. The Necromancer is 90 points. Five wounds on a six-up armor save. But you don't have to worry about his survivability too much because he's got the Undead Minion special rule, which means he gets to pass off uh, wounds or mortal wounds to Soulblight Gravelord summonable units on a 4+. plus. So he's a little bit more survivable, which is nice. Now, the Necromancer was actually so integral in Soulblight Gravelord's list before, and he's definitely changed, and I can definitely see why some people would be annoyed, but he's still got a good ability, um, which is Van Hell's Dance Macabre. It's a spell. You cast it on a 6, and it's got a range of 18 inches. You choose a Soulblight Gravelord summonable unit, holding within range, and it's locked in combat with an enemy unit. That unit can immediately fight. So you get a hero phase fight with a summonable unit. Now, it's not as good as piling an attack twice on a unit, but it does mean that you get to choose one that definitely is in combat and definitely activate it. And for 90 points, the opportunity cost, when it feels like this book is really trying to gear you towards buffing up summonable units in many ways, is something that's really good. If you're not running a bunch of knight, um, a bunch of black knights, then this just feels very positive, in my opinion. Thank you to Refos uh, for resubscribing. Appreciate you loads. Right, time to talk about zombies. It's 115 points for 20 zombies. They got a six up armor save uh, and they are bravery 10. Okay. Uh, they lost their immune to battle shock. So they now are going to take battle shock tests. So that's going to be a bit of an issue if you decide to pump them up to a unit of 60. They've got two attacks each that hit on fives and wound on fours. And they've got a couple of special abilities. They've got roller dice each time and bond this unit slain on a five plus. You cause a mortal wound the unit that slayed them. This is obviously only in melee. Uh, so a unit of 60 is going to do 20 mortal wounds back to the opponent. Hashtag murder rolls. Uh, the newly dead is at the end of the combat phase. You can roll a dice for each enemy model that was slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks in that phase. For each two plus, you can add a dead walker zombie back. So this is quite interesting. If you go into an infantry army, then you are going to be getting loads of zombies back yourself. But where it gets really spicy is if you run it with a 70 point corpse cart. The corpse cart has got an ability called the Locus of Undeath, and it's very cheap. It's only 70 points. Not very survivable though, with six wounds and six up save. This allows you to have Deadwalker zombies, or wholly within 12 inches of it, do mortal wounds on sixes to hit. It also can either have a, a lodestone or balefire brazier. The lodestone is going to give plus one to cast to wizards nearby, and the brazier is going to be minus one to enemy wizards. You're probably always going to take the lodestone. So 70 points uh, will make your Deadwalker zombies do an amazing amount of damage. Because while they've only got two attacks each, a unit of 60 is going to be 120 attacks. Oh, six is to wound, sorry. It's six is to wound do a mortal wound from the uh, corpse cart. Uh, yes, six is to wound, uh, which is really great uh, because this means the Deadwalker zombies can get pluses to the number of attacks that they do. Um, so we can, stack, we can stack exploding attacks uh, on sixes to hit. We can stack a number of attacks on. Um, uh, like the number of attacks, so we could have maybe four attacks, sixes to hit are going to explode, and then any sixes to wound are going to cause a mortal wound. But that's not where it ends, because in Legion of Blood, you could even make them even make them hit on twos. And then the final piece of this puzzle is that if you do kill them, you're going to take mortal wounds in return, and they're going to return models into this unit 
from their ability. And if you finally wipe the whole unit out and take 20 mortal wounds for the privilege, you're going to be able to put a unit of 30 back on the board uh, for another 10 mortal wounds the next time you wipe them out, which is great. Also, if you do cast a spell with a necromancer, you will be able to fight in the hero phase. Um, so amazing. Yeah, they don't explode when slain from Battle Shark. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Hordes of Dead Walker zombies, buffs all over them. They've got the summonable keyword. You can pop them up from grave sites. You can attack with loads of damage. You can overlap buffs. You can uh, do murder rolls, hashtag murder rolls, and then, yeah, zombies. Excellent. Sorry, I should have also mentioned very quickly uh, when talking about the zombies, uh, or because they're a summonable unit, you could have also given them a five-up ward save. So while they're not that survivable, and you kind of want them to die to do mortal wounds, you can also give them a ward save. Oh, thank you to Moose Plus for donating £30 to the show. That's lovely. I, yeah, that's lovely. Five plus wards. Five plus ward save! Next up, we're going to be looking at Dire Wolves. They're two wounds each, and they've got a five-up armor save, and they come in a unit of 10 for 130 points. So that's right. If you keep in track, there's 20 wounds. 20 wounds for 130 points. You can make a battle line or the B battle line, so then you can have them. 390 points are going to get you 60 wounds. And as we just talked about with zombies, you can have a five up ward save on these dire wolves, which is very, very impressive. Don't forget, uh, in the Vicross Dynasty, you're going to be able to add more dire wolves to this unit as well if you want to, which is pretty crazy. Um, they also move 10 inches, so they're very fast and they're summonable, so you can pop them out of the ground, which is very, very effective. They pile in three inches extra, so six inches from six inches away, so you can also pin units in, which is very good. And also, what that means is you can run as well. So when you can pile in extra three inches and from outside of six inches, that means, um, uh, yes, uh, then uh, you can run the unit, ten you can move 10 inches, run six inches, and then pile in six, which is pretty scary. So they're very fast. Uh, that means they're going to ignore uh, standard shoot as well. The main reason you're going to take loads of direwolves is because what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a direwolf block. You're trying to create loads and loads of pinning units um, and pin them in uh, and then make it so that they can't get out of their deployment. And then when they finally kill 30 direwolves, you just bring 15 back, um, which is uh, pretty crazy. Love that. Love that idea. Whether or not it'll work out, we'll see but it's super exciting to see it happen. For 85 points, you can get three fell bats, uh, and they're three wounds each on a six-up armor save, and they are summonable. So you can either put them in the ground, or even if one unit is slain, you can summon back a unit of two. They're very fast, movement 14 inches, and they've got three attacks each, so nine attacks in total, fours and fours, no damage, no rend, sorry, but damage two. So like they'll do okay in a fight, but like not particularly good. I guess they're meant to harass something. I much prefer the Veercross Bloodborne because they've got the pre-game move, but if you're not playing in Veercross, then maybe you want something that can move up the board, but then you've got grave sites for summoning. I think maybe you ignore these, I think, but they've got some abilities. They've got the hunger. If you do have one of them that's wounded and you have killed some models, then you can, of course, uh, summon them, like heal them back. And then we've got single-minded ferocity. Um, this unit can retreat and still charge later in the turn. In addition, at the end of any phase, if any models were slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks in that phase, add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's elongated fangs, taking them up to four attacks each. Uh, they're very fast, but they've got no save. 
uh, I wouldn't take multiples of them. Uh, so they're a bit of a miss for me because the army should be able to go pretty fast. So I don't know why I would spend points on them, in my personal opinion. Uh, but there we go. Okay, on to some spice melange in this battle tome. Death rattle skeletons. You wouldn't really think it, but there's some spice here. They've got a wound each, and they have a 5-up armor save, and they come in units of 10 for 85 points. 85 points. Um, so you think, Rob, that's not that impressive. With only one attack each, they hit on fours, wound on threes, they've got no rend, and they're damage one. But they do have more models than the opponent. Uh, they get to increase the rend characteristic from zero to one, which is kind of nice. Um, as we talked about previously, you can stack loads of additional attacks on top of these. Um, because they are a summonable unit, so even if you slay the unit, you can bring them back. The real power, though, for this unit is the fact that they get to, at uh, the start of the combat phase, roll a dice for each slain model from this unit, and it's not that happened in that turn, or in a previous turn, or any other turn. You can, on a 4+, plus, you can return one slain model to that unit. So if you have a th unit of 30, and they're down to only 3, each combat phase, you're going to be able to roll 27 dice on 4-ups, bring them back. Um, that seems very, very strong, especially when this summonable unit could definitely get a five-up ward save, um, plus one to its Deathless minions. It's got a standard bearer, which lets you re-roll ones for the ward rolls that you make for Deathless minions. You could, you have debuff spells, as we talked about earlier, reducing attacks and output from the enemy, so making them maybe more survivable as well. Ultimately, 30 wounds on a 4-up save isn't going to survive everything, but you could stick a Mystic Shield on them, all-out defense, and with that 4-up ward save, actually take quite a bit of damage and then also uh, return models each combat phase. Um, so uh, I think that's quite interesting uh, as a unit, and I think people in the chat seem very, very excited about it. I weirdly feel like I'm more excited about zombies because while these maybe don't die, the zombies are going to do output and then also cause output when they die. So I kind of like that, and the wound pool is heftier, which I think is quite good. But I think there's definitely going to be legitimately a place for these in lists and armies, and you don't have to paint as many skeletons as you have to paint zombies. I think it's really good. So Death Row, Row Skeletons, really good. Oh. Prince Duval is an interesting war cry, Underworld's war band. It's 220 points for Prince Duval and the Crimson Court. He's got five wounds of three up armor save, so quite survivable. He is a wizard and has got a spell which has plus one to hit and wound against an enemy unit, but has got a very limited range of six inches. This casts on a five, but plus one to hit, plus one to wound is, is legitimately a very good spell. Uh, he's got the hunger so he can heal himself, and he's got the come and amuse us then at the start of the combat phase. If the unit and any friendly, the Crimson Court models are within three inches of the same enemy unit, your opponent must pick one of the following effects to apply. Prove the Ren characteristic of this unit possessed play by one, a unit cannot be picked as a target of attacks made by melee weapons. And then the Crimson Court um, uh, have got three wounds each on a four-up armor save, and there are four models in the unit. Uh, they've got the Hunger so they can heal. They've got a number of damage to attacks. And when this unit makes a move, it can pass across terrain features. It moves six inches. So it's not wonderful, um, but I quite like it, Prince Duval and the Crimson Court. Uh, I think that's quite fun. I think they're quite fun. The spell's okay. I wouldn't ever take them in a list, but at least they're worth talking about. Oh, there are three models, sorry, in the Crimson Court, not four. After, after all of the War Scrolls, we get how this army scores points, and we have the grand strategies for these guys, and they have an easy one, and this is pretty much the only one we're talking about, Empire of Corpses. 
When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you replace three or more friendly summonable units that were destroyed during the game. And you're just going to do that, I think. You might do Lust for Domination, which is when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you control more grave sites than your opponent. Control of grave sites is determined by the way, uh, same way as you control objective, and you can control an objective and a grave site at the same time. And because you know where you're going to put those uh, grave sites, that might be incredibly easy to do. But Empire of Corpses feels like the good one. The battle tactics are brilliantly easy, which is good. Callous Overlords is pick one friendly summonable unit within three inches of all enemy units. You complete this tactic if that friendly unit is destroyed during this turn. So maybe you take the Felblats, yeet them up and just have them killed. Maybe take some zombies or something else and just charge them into the enemy killer unit and have them die. Cursed Unlife. You complete this tactic if any wounds allocated to your general or two other friendly vampire units are healed using the hunger ability this turn. If you have two vampires, this is a super easy one in my opinion. Yeah. The Grasping Dead. Pick one friendly summonable unit within three inches of any enemy units. Complete this tactic if they're still there at the end of the turn. They're just very good for skeleton warriors. They just get in a fight, stay in a fight. They stay there. That's great. Then you've got the choiciest vintage. Um, pick one enemy hero on the battlefield. Complete this tactic if that enemy hero is slain during this turn by an attack made by a friendly vampire hero. Really good if you've got the right vampire to do the killing. That's pretty useful. Expand the grave vampires. Complete this tactic if you control two or more objectives wholly outside your territory. And each of those objectives contested by friendly summonable or vampire unit. Again, very achievable. Literally hold an objective. Oh, two. And then finally, Endless Nightmare. Pick one friendly soul-like Gravelord summonable unit on the battlefield. Complete this tactic if six or more slain models will return to that unit during this turn. This is particularly good with Skeleton Warriors, as we've talked about, because of their ability to heal. Okay. And that's it. That's the book. That's everything. Now. There's a lot still to talk about with this book, uh, but at the start of the book, um, I, there was a lot of opinions that this book wasn't particularly good, and I think this book is a pretty good book. There are loads and loads of units that you don't even need to bother reading. Most of the Vicross special characters are pretty worthless reading, and it's a bit killer to read them all, to be honest. Um, let's talk about how the army will probably play. Number one, it's got very, very good primary objective-holding units. Skeleton Warriors, Zombies, direwolves, black knights uh, are all going to be very, really good for holding objectives and screening. So you're going to have what we call really good board control. Lots of board presence because you can have lots of units. And even when those units are killed, you're going to be able to bring them up to, inside of three inches of the enemy, which is really going to piss off the enemy. So they're good. They have a very easy to achieve strategy and easy to achieve book tactics. And they also achieve book tactics really well because uh, in this GHB specifically, um, because they've got teleports and other things which are very effective. So a strong primary game and a strong secondary game. So that means uh, that means that he you are going to score lots of points. Now you get into the chess element of the game, which is can you kill enemy units? And that is a little bit more ropey, in my opinion. Uh, I like the Black Knight list for doing all the mortal wound impact hits. That seems quite interesting. Graveguard definitely can slap, but they can't take a hit, which is going to be pretty pretty cool. You do need to do a load of overlapping buffs, which can be, I guess, a little bit challenging. And you don't necessarily have tons and tons and tons of rend in the army. And the mortal wounds that you do have are very specific, and they're on units that can get killed fairly easily. So it's a weird movement-based board control army that has got units that can do lots of damage, but you need to orientate a lot of synergies to make that happen. 
that actually is quite good. That means the book has got what we call a high skill cap. You are able to also build some fairly strong alpha armies and throw a bunch of units in really early. Alpha combat or alpha pinning, which is quite interesting, and I quite like that as well. You've got some nice units for pre-game moves, for holding objectives. Pretty fun. You've got very good spells. You have um, very good artifacts. Legion of Blood really feels like a standout, although they really want you to play Veercross, and actually Veercross has got so many synergies that kind of I can see lists being played with that. Um, and then I think Legion of Night, uh, with its teleport and its ability to move away, might see quite a bit of play as well. Uh, yes, please, love a tea. Uh, so overall, yeah, I'm going for a pretty good book. Do I think it's an S book like uh, Beast of Chaos are currently? I'm going to go for no. Um, I think it might struggle into quite a few different armies. Um, but I think overall, maybe a lot of shooting might be its downfall. Um, but I think it's fast enough and it's pretty good. So I'm going to give it like a solid B um, at the moment. That's why I'll rate it. But we haven't written any lists out yet. And it does sound like running loads of Black Knights could be literally hilarious. So I love that. That sounds very fun. Um, and I really like the idea of running that Legion of Blood Vampire, a Lord on Zombie Dragon. So I hope you enjoyed this. I want to thank the Twitch chat who've been here with me during this 12-hour review. If you did like this, then you can obviously support the show by liking, subscribing, and joining Patreon, uh, the Honest Wargamer Patreon. If you do that, that would be super wicked. And I'll try and bring you as much quality content as I can because it means a lot to me, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoy uh, your Soulblight Gravelord's army. And I want to know what you think. So the comments are your space to tell me what you think, and I'll listen.